Hello again, friends, and you are my friends, and welcome back to another edition of the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Of course, this being another of our special holiday Star Wars editions, first one in a while, and we actually are past New Year's, it's kind of like the New Year's Hangover Edition, although I'm not actually hungover, so I'm not sure what exactly it is, but here I am, the great Brian Last, and you're there, and on the line to kick things off with me. One of the most popular people to ever appear on the 605 Super Podcast. You know him as wrestling's premier humorist, Scott Cornish. Scott, thanks for being here today. Wow, what an introduction. I thought it was surely it was somebody else, but. <laughs> well, surprise, surprise. It's you and. Uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year. I was going to say Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Hope everything is well with you. What's going on? Oh, not too much. You know, I've just I've had a very quiet end of the year I'm proud to say i finally got uh, my my booster so i'm triple triple or i'm double vaxxed and then boosted and um we had a brief covid scare within my family that turned out to be negative it was a positive test and then turned out to be negative but other than that you know quiet end of the year you know uh the the, the uh the COVID thing kind of ruined, you know, <laughs> what was supposed to be a lovely family gathering and everybody ended up just staying home. And I stayed at home where I am. I take care of my mother here at home. And, uh, and that was that we just had, you know, it was just the two of us instead of, you know, a couple of dozen family members. <laughs> You got to excuse me. How about you? In the background while we talk, unfortunately, I have to watch WWE Day One because we're reviewing it on Jim's show, and I already, no, mi- I, have it on. I already missed the portion. I already missed the portion. I have the sound off. It does not look like anything that appeals to me <laughs> anyway. Uh, and then the main event that I actually cared about is now off. So I yeah. don't even know what to it, think it, of this. I saw the the I saw a match on the preview show that was good. And uh, and a tag match that they had at the open of the show that was also quite good, and uh, you know it's not it's not unpredictable, it's not exciting, you know. Um, but it, you know, it isn't ridiculously awful. <laughs> it's just it's just not not exciting. It's just you know? not good at all, and it feels tired. Yeah, yeah. but it's, know, a, but it's a beautiful match. production, of course. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> there you go. There, yeah. The, the other, the other group that everyone talks about so much and so often. There is, there is a really unpredictable <laughs> factor to watching their shows. You know, the the train wreck factor that uh, you can almost that that's actually the most predictable thing is that there's going to be some ridiculous train wreck <laughs> while you're watching. So here at the start of the year, what have you been listening to? Before we get back to wrestling talk, you are someone I know who has a pretty interesting taste in music or multiple tastes. I mean, you like so many different styles of music. What have you been listening to lately? Uh, you know, over the over the holiday, I didn't delve into the holiday music too much, except when I was wrapping uh, my uh, my my small selection of gifts. But I, I, I lately I've been thinking I was so out of it. I mean, uh, I attempted to watch the New Year's Rock and Eve last night to Oof. get myself to, to all, 
Oh, was it awful? But um, but I do not know or understand. Like like if they run a an ad for a big festival, the thing is, I I look at the headliners and then I see how far down I can read until I never until I get hit somebody on the festival circuit that I've never heard. Of. <laughs> and that's, it's sometimes it's on the first line, you know, and I got the, Oh, I get Tame Impala. I guess I've sort of heard of them. Oh, they yeah. had a great album a few think, years ago. Were they? Yeah. Yeah. They're Tame Impala. Elephant. Song. Elephant was their song, which I was about to say hit yeah. song. It wasn't a hit song, but uh, they ended up using it in a commercial in America. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not too hip on any on anything new. I listened to a bunch of Sun Ra. I actually got to see some. Uh, I went to New York for a weekend before everything shut down. I'm glad it was at the early part of the month, and I got to see a bunch of acts that I really like a lot that I love and haven't uh, haven't seen in a couple of years since everything shut down. <laughs> but I got to see uh, three of the Yola Tango. Um, Hanukkah shows. They do eight shows over the eight days of Hanukkah. And they always have a bunch of great special guests and uh, opening bands and comedians. They used and to be I at Maxwell's, to, right? That was at Maxwell's when in Hoboken when it was still open. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen them at Maxwell's, but I never saw their Hanukkah shows there. But then now they do them at the Bowery Ballroom, which is a little, a little more room, you know, <laughs> but not too, too big. But, um, I tried to stay as far away from used to go right, you know, push myself right up near the front and the, and the mob of people down on the floor. And this time, uh, kept the mask on, stayed up in the, in the balcony area away from the, uh, away from the, the big crowd you know? <laughs> and still enjoyed the show just as much. But at the end of their sets, they always play something along the lines of blue reach heroin, or something like that, like a guitar sort of freak out that where uh, Ira, their guitar player, can just go wild on the guitar. That's like they do two songs like that near the end of their set. And over eight days, they never repeat a song. It's, it's pretty amazing, the, the, the breadth of, uh, of their material. But by the last night, I saw three of their shows, and by the last night, the, the running theme is how I fall asleep uh, during anything now. You know, absolutely. Uh, wrestling is, I will fall asleep in 10 minutes watching wrestling, which is why I should not be watching this day <laughs> one while I'm talking to you because I'll probably fall asleep. Um, but yeah, it, uh, by the third night of seeing Yola Tango and the shows were all so great. Um, they had up, up in the balcony, there's like a little sort of almost like a VIP little chill out room, you know? Um, uh, and, uh, but the third night when they went into like the big instrumental freak out at the end of the set, I just went in that, that chill out room and fell asleep. <laughs> Mr. Rock and roll. <laughs> and, uh, I saw them and they're fantastic. And I saw, Oh, I love this band from England that they sort of moved to, to Chicago. Now, Ben, it's been around forever called the Mekons. Oh, and, yeah, um, I know them, of course. And I saw Langford and Sally Timms and two or three other members of the Mekons. It wasn't officially a full Mekons show, but I saw two shows by them, and they were also, John and Sally were special guests uh, on one of the Yola Tango shows, like surprise special guests on that show. So I got to see them, 
a couple of times. It's been ages since I saw them play. And I've never seen this band, the New Pornographers. One night I didn't know Yola Tango tickets, so I went to see New Pornographers. And I, I was really impressed by that. I, I've heard them before, heard of them. I never saw them play, but I'm not super familiar like a lot of my friends with their whole catalog, you know. But they've, they've got quite a following over the years. Nico Case, a fantastic uh, singer in her own right, was also a member of New Pornographers. She was with them. Uh, the other night when I saw them play, they played at, at Webster Hall, which used to be the uh, the new Ritz. Uh, now, it wasn't the original club, the Ritz, but it was the new Ritz. In the 80s, it was and the I Ritz. Thought, in the 80s, it was the Ritz. And now it's Webster Hall. But I forgot that. And I hadn't been in that building in, you know, in 20 years, probably. <laughs> I went, oh, my God, this is the Ritz. <laughs> but uh, so I was glad I got to see those shows over a weekend. Uh, you know, and uh, I did everything I could to to avoid. You know, I I didn't go in the subway. I didn't go to uh, Times Square. Certainly, I I briefly went through Penn Station, saw the new part of uh, Penn Station, and that was it. I didn't see too many people I knew, other than a couple couple of them at the shows, and one of my friends that went to the Nikon show, and that was that was my big outing. And now, you know. <laughs> I got back home here, and uh, it's just been a quiet couple of days, or a couple of weeks, very quiet Christmas, but thankfully not uh, not with any illness. You know? I had a lingering lingering cold, which I was afraid to <laughs> get checked out, but it turned out to just be a cold. Well, we're going to add someone here in a moment before we get going, but I want to make a few notes. One, you may hear noise behind me. There is a downpour right now, and it's hitting the skylights Ooh. here in the office. So there's a downpour, mm. so I apologize for that. And the others, the other note, I should say, is that Scott's phone sucks. So if that's it doesn't sound perfect, <laughs> that's why. But we're going to be fixing that in the new year. But let me add someone yeah. here. Let me uh, figure out how to do that. Here we go. We got a dial pad, and let's... Type in this number. This is one of the bigger stars that regularly appears on the shows. I think he's a big star. This guy's like mm. a celebrity. Every time I turn around, he's on TV or he's interacting with a major star. Calling him now. Let's see if he's there. And it's not me. Who could it be? And it's not you. But I thought he'd be perfect for what I want to talk to you about to have on the line. If he picks up the phone, he may choose to not pick up the phone. Hello. That's how. Are you there? <laughs> Is anyone there? That's a big star, man. Don't even pick up his phone. <laughs> it says that he picked up. I don't know what happened. And now it says that he left. All right, let's try to dial him again. Eight. Uh, hold on. Let me joke, make sure I called the right number. Two, da, 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 da. Yes, this is uh, this superstar here. Let's try this again. Did you mention that I'm on the phone to him? Because that might be a factor. It might have been what chased him off. Hello, Ooh, can you hear us? He Pick right up. Hello. <laughs> Are you on mute? Do you answer on mute? Can you hear us? Blink twice or nod your head. My phone doesn't sound so bad now, does it? No, <laughs> you know, and he has left the call once again. Two attempts. Ah. 
Before I make a third one, I'm going to type to him. Talk for a second. Vamp for a moment. Perhaps he's, perhaps he's just bashful. <laughs> oh, my. Well, let's see. I'll tell you what movies I saw over <laughs> the holiday weekend. Um, I saw Belfast just the other day. That's a great movie, Belfast, you know? I really liked that. Black and Inglorious Black and White. Also saw, when I was in New York, I saw that movie Licorice Pizza. That's very, very good. And I saw it on a, in an old theater that had a 70-millimeter print. Giant screen. I have not seen a, a, a that kind of a, a movie experience in many years. Uh, but that was pretty exciting. Um, yeah, see, Licorice Pizza, give that my thumbs up. Uh, what else did I see? Uh, oh, Nightmare Alley. People are, aren't going to see that, and apparently they're not going to see it in droves. Apparently, the only thing people are going to see are like Spider-Man and superhero movies and things like that. Yeah. But um, Nightmare Alley's fantastic. All right, hold on. We're going to try this person again. He seems to indicate that it may have been a headphone issue. We're trying this man now. He is a big star. Usually an assistant would be answering the phone for him, but... Wow. I believe Mr. Hollywood can do this. Let's see. Hello! Hello! I can't tell if that was you or Scott. Say hello, not Scott. Uh, not Scott. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very happy to have on the show one of the bigger stars out there, one of my favorite people <laughs> to have on the show. You may Howard's know him. On? You may know him as many different names. Some call him Superstar, but of course we know him as the late Dan Farron. Dan, thanks for being here today. Oh, oh, listen, Brian, great to see you. Happy New Year. Not to see you, but to hear you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year <laughs> Happy to everybody. New Year. <laughs> also on the line, Scott Cornish. Hey, Scott, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Now, you've met all kinds of celebrities. We were discussing that before yeah. while you were... Uh, not answering your phone. Did you ever meet <laughs> Betty White? <laughs> Did you ever meet the no. late Betty White? No, I never met Betty White. That's one of the, uh, I actually saw Betty White because what my wife and I used to do was when we first started dating, um, because I was just a lowly college student, didn't have any money, is I would go get uh, TV show tickets for uh, for TV show tapings. And we okay. saw a couple of uh, Mary Tyler Moore episodes uh, with Betty White in it. But uh, wow. that, that was a good cheap way. That was a good cheap way to, we saw a lot of, we saw All in the Family and Maud and WKRP in Cincinnati. Really? And actually, there's a Carol Burnett show where which we actually we were in the a used dvd store and we picked it up i said i think we went to this one and we looked at it and we're sitting in the audience i can see us sitting in the audience it, uh, it's really weird wow did you ever see any uh, no, any I, classic episodes that that, uh, that people would know I, right away uh, I saw the uh, Betty White, I mean, the um, Mary Tyler Moore show. No, uh, Maude, I saw the one where she met John Wayne. Um, oh, wow. WKRP, I saw the one where uh, Lonnie Anderson had married Pat O'Brien, and he died, and she inherited a bunch of stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, I just, I just, I, actually, I used to go to The Tonight Show a lot because my old college roommate was the audio assistant on The Tonight Show, and uh, I used to go to wow. the anniversary shows and a lot of the really fun shows. And also what was nice is he would bring me in early and I would sit in the audience and I could listen to rehearsals. So I heard like Tony oh, working cool. out with the band or Bob Hope running over his monologue, stuff like that. Yeah. 
Uh, there's a there's a great classic. Uh, uh, I guess I'll say nightclub. It was originally a folk music club up here in Saratoga Springs, New York, called Cafe Lena. And mm-hmm. um, just just prior to you know in the last year or two before everything shut down, uh, Doc Severinsen played at Cafe Lena. Really. He's well, well into his nineties, and he's still out there doing gigs. Wow, that was a, that was a great band. That was a great band to hear live. It really, truly was. Oh yeah, yeah. Guys, if I could jump in for a second, we can get back to Carson and whatever else in a moment. But there was a topic I wanted to ask Scott about. I thought, you know, this may be interesting. I can't speak. This may be interesting to have Dan on the line for as well. Although I'm not sure if you and I have talked much about it. We may have, and I'm just forgetting. You may, I think you were around during the period of time, but Scott, you just went to the XPW revival show in upstate New York, correct? (laughs) That's right. Just a couple of weeks after the uh, dark side of the ring episode. And, um, I don't think, I don't think it, I don't think that dark side of the ring affected the, uh, the attendance, uh, pro or con either way. Um, there, there wasn't any indication that there was a mob of people or that people stayed away, although the attendance wasn't great. Um, but yeah, an old friend of mine was coming all the way up here to go to the show. He was going to shoot the show. Um, and I hadn't seen him in ages and I was a little bit, there's a few people on the show that I didn't want to see at all, but I, I saw a couple of XPW shows during that weird period where Rob Black tried to buy the ECW arena. (laughs) I saw a couple of shows in Philadelphia and I just remember what an odd time that was. And those shows were pretty wild, but you know, in, in part, but they didn't see seem all that unusual or different. Uh, the stuff they did out in LA and the stuff that they showed on the dark side of the ring episode you know, I never got to see anything like that on their shows, and uh, but you know, I decided to go to see this one up in Rochester. I wanted to see the the building that they were in, which was this uh, old Masonic uh, armory, classic old old big building, and that part I really loved. I loved seeing the old building and uh, the way things were set up there, and I was I was. When I went to the show, I was sort of waiting for something really wild and out of control to happen. They had a couple of the more notorious deathmatch wrestlers on the show, including that that idiot um, Grover that, uh, <laughs> that Jim Cornette uh, was uh, was battling for a while uh, over, yeah. over a T-shirt, and uh, and this this maniac called Schlack. I will say that. Both of those guys were really popular with the uh, with the live crowd, uh, so they do have a following of sorts. But I'll say, in both cases, their stuff was way toned down. It was not anything like the stuff that you see advertised, or even the stuff that they showed on some of the XPW shows. The more, the, probably the most interesting thing about the XPW show was how completely normal it was. You know, <laughs> there was a couple of crazy things on it, but it was mostly just like an independent show that you would go see, you know? Yeah. And, you yeah. know, some, some decent talent on it. 
but nothing, you know, and it was a very professional operation. You know, I'm sure that they would have wished for more people, but, um, but it was, it was quite, quite ordinary, <laughs> you know, nothing too crazy. They did a screwy finish that at the end of the show in their big title match, they had a tournament and tournaments are always kind of boring. <laughs> but well, um, Scott, let me, let me yeah, ask you, Scott, do you, do you think it was kind of boring or do you think we've been desensitized by all the, the really crazy stuff that's gone on in the last 10, 15 years or whatever. And maybe if you had seen that same show like 15 years ago, would it, do you think it would have made a bigger impression on you? No, that's, that's possible. But I'm saying that, that if you had never been to an XPW show, if you had watched that dark side of the ring, you'd be expecting oh, yeah. something like, you know, new Jack jumping off the ceiling or really, you know, a lot of, uh, of, uh, you know, of light tubes or anything like that, that people still some, somehow yeah. think are exciting, but they, I saw yeah. light tubes in Philadelphia. And how long ago was that? 15, 20 years ago, you yeah, know, um, exactly. you know, people get excited, but they didn't really do anything like that. Like I remember a couple of years ago, I went to an independent show in Syracuse and, uh, Sabu and Necro Butcher and some of these people, were all on that show. And the same thing, I was going, oh, this will be completely crazy. And, but it wasn't. <laughs> I want to, yeah, I would say those guys, I mean, the, of, of the people on the show, that, that Schlack and Rover probably were involved in the in the wilder matches, but it wasn't anything that, that you'd say, oh my God, that was completely out of control. You know, yeah, they, they were locked into this idea of a tournament and most of the matches were just short matches between guys. I mean, there were guys on the show like Brian Cage and um, yeah, um, so, uh, who's that guy that from Ring of Honor, Silas, somebody or other, um, and uh, you know, and a bunch of people that you'd recognize for independent from independent shows, but nobody from the old XBW. Uh, yeah. the, the announcer Chris Chris Kloss came all yeah. the way from LA and he, he was involved in it. And certainly Rob black was there, but, right. um, but if you were following XPW or you just saw him on dark side of the ring. Um, yeah, you know, it's, he, it's funny. I talked, I talked to it, several people who were interviewed for dark side of the ring who, who worked with XPW and several that weren't. And the basic consensus I got from all of them was they were really happy. They dodged that bullet. They really did not want to do that show and talk about that stuff because they, they knew how low rent a lot of that came off, you know? And, uh, I, I find that really, really funny because I, yeah, God, I, I, I have, I knew and know a lot of people who were involved with that in the very beginning. And, uh, and I have touched on it here once or twice before, but I was actually supposed to be the first commissioner of XPW. That's right. That's right. Uh huh. That's commissioner right. Farron. Uh huh. Because, and then, uh, they basically kind of ghosted me. And then I called the day before the show and said, what's up. And they told me that because, uh, I had done the secrets of pro wrestling exposed that, uh, uh big Dick Dudley <laughs> and some of the guys were very upset that I had exposed the business and that they didn't want me involved. Uh, and, yeah. and truthfully, because one of the things I said to them in the very beginning to the guys was I said, all right, you know, I'll, let's give it a shot. I, I don't mind doing it. I said, but, you know, 
this porn hardcore wrestling thing has me a little concerned. Uh, and, uh, you know, let's, let's see how it goes. And if I like it, I'll stay with it. And if I don't, you know, and I know that I'm really glad that it, it didn't work out. Uh, at, at, I wrote to uh, <laughs> one of the guys involved in the very beginning and said, you know, I was really mad at you guys when you first dropped me because you didn't just come right out and tell me you were just going to ignore it. I said, but now, uh, that I've seen everything that went on all those different years. I, I really want to thank you for not getting me involved with this because I know if I had gone in as the opposing guy who owned uh, XBW and feuded with Rob Black, um, you know there would have been a pizza cutter with my name on it someplace out there, and that's yeah. not something that that I was interested in. And that stuff became hard for me to watch too for a long time. I didn't because since I knew a lot of the guys and um, Supreme. Uh, yeah, I, really let me, let me just jump mind. in and say that was, I mean, Supreme mm -hmm. is really the guy when I watched Dark Side and I first saw Supreme, yeah. I said, oh my God, that's Dan's friend. That was my first thought. That's Dan's yeah. friend. Yeah, that's Lester. Mm. That was Lester. And uh, he first, and, and Joey, who was Chaos, uh, they first started hanging around some of the uh, um, some of the early shows that we did with Johnny Legend and they were just starting out and they wanted to get involved. In fact, if you look at the, the infamous uh, the show that we did with Sabu and Al Snow, they're, Snow, they're sitting in the front row. Oh, no uh, shit. And, wow. And, yeah. And, and in fact, that actually uh, inspired a lot of guys to go into wrestling. And, and sometimes I wonder if that was a good thing. Uh, but uh, it, they did do that. And they and they all wanted me involved in, in one way, shape, or form. And But uh, I had trouble watching when I was seeing this. When I saw him get set on fire, I... I said to him, I said, Lester, I, I love you too much to, to watch you do this. I said, you're going to, you're going to kill yourself. And I will tell you, if there's anybody who was the exact polar opposite of what he was in the ring, it, it was Lester Supreme. Uh, he was the nicest guy. Um, he and Joey both um, were always uh, so good to me. And they always came up to me and talked to me and hugged me and wanted to, to catch up and see what was going on. And, um, and Lester had been suffering from all kinds. I mean, you, you don't take that kind of punishment that he takes uh, that he took uh, without it, 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 it ending your life early. And, um, and, and we kind of all knew this was going to happen um, at, at some point, but he just loved it. The trouble is that you, I would, I would hire them for other shows uh, later on. Uh, just, just, you know, for like, uh, you know, uh, for me, I, I, I was working for this one group for a while and, and, uh, they were getting ready to close down and, and they were, weren't having crowds or whatever. So I started bringing in some of the guys that I had worked with kind of for my own nostalgia tour and typical of, of Supreme. I brought him in and I said, okay, here's the deal. We're in a boys and girls club. Watch your language, please watch your language. You know, there's a lot of kids here and, and, and don't, don't, you know, don't break anything really bad or do anything that's going to do that. And of course, within three seconds, he's in the middle of the ring. Listen, you son of a bitch cocksucker. I'm going to kill you. You know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and usually I would get really irritated, but it was one of those situations where I just said, well, that's, that's just Lester. That's the way he's always going to be. Uh, and I do see the guys every once in a while, either like a cauliflower alley or somewhere and I'll be out. Um, somebody will, you know, uh, come up to me and say, Hey, remember, you know, I, I worked with you and, and all that stuff. And I'm so glad to see a lot of those guys alive. But of course, Pat Hoett. Uh, is is one of my oldest friends out here, and mm -hmm. uh, I was really, really, uh, I'm really, really happy he got out of there before he got Larry Rivera before he got uh, too entrenched in it because it did feel like uh, it was some sort of cult after a while that once you got in you couldn't get out. 
And uh, yeah, I, I'm just so happy that that I avoided uh, all of that. I that's just not something that I would have wanted to do. It that's not my jam. That's not my my cup of tea. That's not, that's not, not my kind of jam. Stuff I want. Listen to Dan. Not my jam. I know. Listen, I'm. I'm about to turn 66 in a couple of weeks. I got to try to keep up that, that young, uh, brand, uh, you know, a thing going in here once some point, but it's just, no, I never, I never really cared, uh, for, for all the, the, the bells and whistles and stuff. That's not, that's not my thing. That was, but, well, I, I, I think it may have been the toughest episode of dark side for me to get through just cause it was so uncomfortable. And you know, what's, yeah. his, what's his name? Luke Hawks, the spot where he was taking the chair shots. When I saw that, I was like, oh my, this is so uncomfortable. This is really bad. And the whole special was just, you know, one of the, one of, one of the biggest problems I had with the second, uh, is that the second or third season? That was the third season, wasn't it? Uh, was it the know. third or the fourth? Third, I don't know. Yeah. Third? Okay. It's somewhere third. along there. This, ep- these episodes were so dark. All of them felt so dark that uh, I really wanted to take a shower after a lot of them. And, you know, it's the kind of thing when the first, when the first season came on, friends would watch the show and, and they would say, Oh, ask me questions about it or this and that. And they, and they found it interesting. I found that as the seasons progressed, they were not watching it as much anymore because it got into areas where if you're a hardcore fan and you've been around it for a while, you know, these stories. And, but if you spring this stuff, I mean, if you sat somebody down who knew, you know, that thought that wrestling was like the Bugs Bunny cartoon, a bunny hug or something like that, you know, it was, or it was a glow or it was something really light, uh, you know, and then show them the XPW, um, you know, episode, uh, they don't want to throw themselves off of the, the nearest building at that point, because it just <laughs> felt it, it just isn't to me. I, I said to a friend, it's not what I consider to be professional wrestling. And in a way I kind of don't want to be uh, associated with that. I mean, the guys, all the guys that worked on those shows that, that I dealt with only one or two were assholes. Most of them are friends and, and Joey kid chaos is still a, a very close friend, but um, it, it, it just, it just really, really bothered me, and I felt it wasn't representative of what wrestling really is. And it's kind of like if you, it's it's kind of like if you judge, um, if you want to judge the entire film industry uh, on a guy that makes snuff films in New Jersey or something like that. I mean, it just it wasn't a complete representation of what I think wrestling is. Um, and it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it that's a, it was a hard episode to watch. Cool. And uh, when that fire thing came up again, where he was set on fire or this oh stuff God. where yeah. uh, Vic Grimes goes off the top of the thing there. And, uh, you know, that, um, that, that, that's really, really hard. That's really, really hard to watch. It's, it's really uncomfortable. Well, if it makes well, you I'll feel better, that- if it makes you feel better, they had a banal and insipid independent show in upstate New York as their big return. <laughs> <laughs> only, only that, only that it was just sort of a, a regular show. And this being another theme, it, it, it's mostly just that I'm getting older. Is that um, it, I, I sat there, you know, had you know great seats for you know you certainly <laughs> you had your your pick of wherever you wanted to sit in that place. I I guess I had enough yeah. people that it might have looked okay on, but just that it was a very professionally run, normal type show with none of the craziness and, and that may have been completely with very, I'll say very little of the craziness that XPW was known for. Certainly if you saw that yeah. dark side of the ring, you'd mm-hmm. be, you'd be surprised or maybe even disappointed that the show wasn't like that. But, uh, moreover, I, I 
I was asleep for half the show. I mean, that's a loud <laughs> show with all the music and loud and, and, and the crowd and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like one or two rows back, and I yeah. I couldn't give you a full mass rundown of anything because I just kept dozing off. <laughs> and I'm not because yeah. it's that boring. It's just just because I'm I'm of that age now. <laughs> you know, I don't think I'm falling. No, I just I just told Brian that I fell asleep at a Yola Tango show, but but, but um, <laughs> uh, I fell asleep in the middle yeah, of a Star yeah, Wars I, recording. It just happened. <laughs> no, no, I kid, I kid, <laughs> I kid, kid. But um, I kid. But yeah, no, it was it was just interesting. You know, I saw Rob Black a little bit, and he's still very, you know, plugged in and, and manic. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh but uh but uh, you know the goings on of the of the show you know were were uh, unremarkable you know <laughs> if you really wanted the details yeah, I, the strangest the strangest thing ever is a guy that's in AEW Brian Cage actually won the the XPW title at the tournament which if I'm not mistaken, has not been. They haven't bragged about that on AEW yet. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, he hasn't been on AEW since. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're, you're probably right. I mean, he, he you know, he's a big guy. I, he, he certainly looked like like a star in the in the company of the guys that he was with that night. But uh, and they gave him the title. And in fact, in the in the finals, if anybody cares, he went against this this uh, this wrestler Willie Mack. Who, you yeah. know, I guess there's sort of, sort of, uh, uh, wasn't bad, but cosmetically is, is one of the worst looking wrestlers I've ever seen. He's just big and fat, you know, and, uh, yeah. looks kind of out of shape. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will tell you about, I will tell you about Brian Cage. One thing I learned from working backstage on shows that he was on is don't ever make a joke about the fact that he likes to eat tuna fish out of the can. Uh, because he got really <laughs> pissed at me one night, got really pissed. I said, Oh, I said, Oh, who's eating the tuna fish? I'm eating the tuna fish. I said, all right, calm down. You know, I don't, you know, I don't, don't need any problems with that. But, uh, but I, I remember meeting Rob Black for the first time. And, uh, and if, by the way, if anybody, uh, after we, I've, after I say this, if anybody tries to cut my thumbs off, I want you to realize who it probably was, but, uh, mm. Rob, uh, was standing there and he was dressed. Uh, you know, in, in the particular, he was dressed like uh, a, a midget uh, version of the Dudley Boys. He was like, uh, you know, like Little Dudley or whatever. You know, I mean, he was huh. just and he had, and he was walking around chewing tobacco and spitting into a tin can he was carrying with him. And uh, the guys said, "Oh, Rob, this is Dan Farron. He's going to be working with us." He didn't say a word to me. Just walked right around and, and just did all that stuff. And uh, yeah, everybody I talked to uh, about him, um, uh, yeah, the, the, he's uh, and you know what? He's perfect to go into the wrestling business, but he really shouldn't have. You know, I mean, I met a lot of guys like him in the wrestling business, but uh, well, he was really. It something. shows you the. It shows you the lure of the wrestling business. Uh, oh yeah, I, I've said this before on the show. I said. At one time, at his most notorious, he was simultaneously the most hated man in wrestling and porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is really an amazing achievement. And, but it's a the great concert. I mean, probably his greatest accomplishment. And how, how, how long was, uh, was XPW shut down? Like 14, 17 years? Like a long, oh, yeah. long time. And uh, my friend who 
who came up and visited and, and knows all those guys from XBW and, and I went to the show with him. He said years ago, you know, it sometime around the time that they were shutting down or had just shut down or something like that. He says, Rob Black said, you know, and all the things he was involved in, you know, he got, he got sent to jail for a while for, for porn related stuff. And, um, he said the biggest mistake I ever made was getting involved in pro wrestling. He says, just cause mm-hmm. I was a Mark and it was a complete money drain. And yet here, here he is getting back into it all these years yeah. later. <laughs> And I think they said he owns a pizza place now, doesn't he, or someplace? An Italian yeah, restaurant or yeah. something? Yeah, he's yeah. got he's got a restaurant that's like, you know, pizza burgers and stuff like that and fairly successful. I wonder successful. I wonder if he I wonder if he likes the crust. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And um well, he also has in town he has that he has that place and he has like a, a store which is like a vape store that sells vape and it yeah. and uh you know, CBD stuff and, uh, you know, some DVDs and things like that. And, um, and, uh, Tom Byron, one of his, one of the few uh, holdouts that's still associated with Rob Black from the porn industry, Tom, the uh, former, uh, pretty well-known male porn star, Tom Byron, he manages the, uh, the vape store what? and Black, I, <laughs> Black was supposed Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Over- He's in upstate New York, isn't he? Yeah, Rochester. Tom Byron. I thought Tom. I mean, forgive me. I'm not uh, an expert in pornography, <laughs> let alone classic pornography. But Tom Byron, <laughs> I think, is probably best known for being Tracy Lords' boyfriend at one point. But mm-hmm. Tom he had them all. Tom Byron. Yeah, I mean, he was in porn for, I mean, if not thirty years, at least, yeah, probably over thirty years. Is he? He's. Do you a, know what ended his career? Do you know what ended his career in porn? First of all, I was unaware that his career had ended. I want you to tell me that, but I certainly was oh, unaware Ma- that he was living in upstate New York, working uh, in a vape store. Yeah, well, managing the vape store. Managing the vape store. <laughs> Rob Black, I guess. That's the surprising <laughs> part of it. Well, yeah, but they, they, they've maintained a, you know, a, a friendship and a business relationship all this time. He was backstage at the, at the uh, thing, you know, sort of involved, but not really involved in the wrestling end, but he was definitely there. Guy's very, you know, he's very pleasant. But what actually ended his career all those years ago, arthritis in the knees. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, he, you know, he, 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 I'm not kidding. It was like he, spent, he spent 20 years on his knees, you know, and, and they killed his knees. Because he spent 20 years in wrestling, your knees would be shot. If you spent 20 yep. years as a male porn star, your knees are really shot. You know, <laughs> I think this is going to be a big story going forward. I mean, it doesn't even really have to deal with um, genitalia, but just the, the athletic injuries <laughs> of porn stars, the rotator cuffs, the <laughs> ACLs. I mean, yeah. this is going unreported. Why aren't we talking about this? As some uh, pseudo journalists. <laughs> The other thing that ruined a lot of careers was high definition. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Gosh, yeah, oh, we yeah. used to have. Uh, when I started working on some of the the the, the uh, wrestling shows, the independent shows in the nineties, uh, we had, we used to have a lot of porn people just show up to watch the show. Um, there was one, uh, Britt Morgan showed up to the very first show we ever did. It was hanging out there, and uh, there was another one named. Um, 
Paris Kennedy. She she came out to one of them. Uh, the best one yeah. was when we were doing an incredibly strange show one time uh, in, in some little club. And, you know, the ring was, was right in the middle of, of the club and everybody stood around it. I mean, they actually stood like, you know, where they could, like they were lumberjacks in a match or whatever there. And, oh, God, I forgot the name of this. A, a very big classic um, uh, film porn star came in with a bunch of her entourage or whatever. Oh, Nina Sharon Hartley. Mitchell. That's who it was. Who was it? No, it was Sharon Mitchell. Oh. Uh, and, oh, boy. And she came in. And oh, this ties. Oh, this is perfect. This ties into the earlier thing. Uh, so I used to tell people on the microphone. Now, when the wrestlers get close to you, you know, I said they're not. You know, you may think they're they're cuddly and and really really nice, but they're going to be fighting. They're not going to pay attention. So you're on your own, okay? And she and her, her girls were standing down front. And boy, this brings us full circle. Supreme is in the ring, and he goes to do a, a dive over the top rope, and he takes out like 25 people, including. Uh, Sherry Mitchell and all her friends. And it, it was like bullets no. for porn stars. All of a sudden, uh, legs are akimbo. <laughs> everybody's flying through the air or whatever. And that was that. And when Chris Farley showed up at one of our shows, that those were probably two of the biggest uh, <laughs> strange Twilight Zone type moments. Yeah. Well, I always heard that, I mean, you can certainly attest to, to being around those types of people. You were around the comedy scene. And uh, mm-hmm. probably have seen some rock and roll stuff, and definitely wrestling, and and some porn stuff, and they all uh, mingle one in one way or another. Um, yeah. They always they always said about that horrible uh, Ron Jeremy. They said his his yeah. <laughs> other than his obvious physical attributes, um, his big thing was he was the guy that made the introductions. Porn stars wanted to meet wrestlers and comedians. Comedians wanted to meet uh, porn stars and some wrestlers, you know, and and so forth. You know, and it was all vice versa. And, they, and what what was important was somebody like Ron Jeremy that knew everybody. He would introduce yeah. the porn stars to the comedians, the rock stars to the porn stars, and vice versa, and every all the way around. <laughs> it's very it's very interesting how how all those those different areas all intersect that way because i mean and there's a lot of stand-up comics that uh, used to go to shows and and wanted to be in in shows and, and put together shows and did all this kind of stuff and uh it was always interesting about every porn person or every comedian or every actor i ever met who wanted to put together a show had absolutely no idea what they were doing I mean, absolutely oh, yeah. no idea. All, yeah. all they figured was they'd seen Glow or they'd seen TV and they figured out how they were going to do it. And it was always, that's always one of those shows where I would take the money and run. I was just, I, that was just, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> yep. Take the money, put it in my pocket, say, this is what I would do. You, you're paying for it. Do whatever you want to do. Um, you know, that's yeah. 90%. Of the, my biggest feuds that I ever had uh, in professional wrestling were mostly with the guys that put the shows together who had no idea what they're going. A guy said to me one yeah. time, he said, I want to put together a show. I want it to be like all Japan. And I said, where are you going to have the show in Pomona? And I said, why would you want to have, who would, why would you have an all Japan show in Pomona? Who's going to come to this show who likes, if you tailor it to look like all Japan wrestling, that's not the neighborhood. You got to do your homework, you know, uh, you know, know the room, that kind of stuff. Frank Idavia. Years ago, the late Frank Idavia, <laughs> when he started Jersey All Pro Wrestling, 
he was telling people, he told a couple of friends of mine at that time in like 96, 97, I forget, that it was called Jersey All Pro, J-A-P, Jap, because he thought people may think it was Japanese wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> For real, I swear to God, that's true. Yeah. Did you ever hear the story about Sandman having a meeting with Onita? No. They, 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 they brought all these ECW guys over and they were going to do a sh- at work with Onita or FMW or whatever group it was, you know, <laughs> you know, and Sandman is in some meeting where they're talking about plans for the matches that they're going to have. They're already over there in Japan and in front of Onita, he says, and then I'll come out and uh, I'll Pearl Harbor somebody. And then you turn around and you jack me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have heard that one uh, before now that you say it. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, well, let me see. Uh, there was another person. Oh, well, he's not ready. He's getting ready right now. I got this WWE pay-per-view in the background. What a piece of crap this is. <laughs> yep. Nah, I don't. I hate watching this. God damn, this is awful television. <laughs> I'm surprised that... that, that- Jim not only watches it like homework, you know, but that he takes yeah. such extensive notes. It's very difficult for him to watch something like without that, doing that without doing that. You know, it's um, yeah, it's hard for Are me to really explain. To- you know, it's 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 hard for me in general to attend things and enjoy them. I can't even explain <laughs> it. I have a weird way I yeah. see things from years around the entertainment industry and from just various things. It's hard for me to be in a room and not start thinking, oh, they should have lit this this way. They should have done this. There should be a personal. It's impo- It's just hard for me. It's it's a hard thing. Yeah. And I think with Jim, with wrestling, especially something he is watching with the intention of speaking about, he's going to make sure that he's not just speaking about it, but you realize that he actually paid attention and he knows what he's talking about. And I think uh, I think that's what it comes down to. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm confused by this pay-per-view because I'm not sure. Is it called... Day one because it's January first, or is it called day one because it's the first day of quarantine for most of the roster? I, which one is yeah. it? Do you think? Not even, <laughs> not even just the roster. How many? Uh, I'd like to know how many of the behind yeah. the people, well, behind the scenes, behind the people, behind the scenes people are actually yeah. there right now. <laughs> yeah, mm. exactly. It's like a petri dish. It's yeah. You know, I hate to say it, but I mean, it's one of my big fears is they're going to have to shut a lot of this stuff down again just because mm-hmm. you know it's. Yeah, I hate to say it, but it's still not. Quite frankly, none of us should be going out in large groups right now. We should still be just hanging out at home. I mean, I know people don't want to hear that, and you know, I, I thought a lot yeah. of the uh, a lot of the messaging eventually became like, and all oh, we know, people can't stay home forever. Well, yeah, I can, especially if it'll keep yeah. me alive. I'll stay home forever. I'll yeah. stay home forever if if it means I'll get a hot dog. I don't even need like a big cause. <laughs> uh, let me add this person here. Because there's another topic I want to discuss. I mentioned it to Scott a little bit before off-air, but I want to get this person in on this conversation. And Dan, I'd actually really like to get your point of view, too. Let me uh, see if I can find this person. I'm going to be adding him to the call. And here he is. We are adding him now. I should probably let him know we'll be recording as we go. We are recording (laughs) as you answer. And we will uh, add him now. Tell, tell him that tell him this call will be uh, 
is going to be a check for quality assurance. Yes. All right, we're calling him. Let's see if he answers. Hello. Hello. Hey, Brian, how are you, man? Hey, it's me. I'm I'm glad to be here. You rescued me from uh, having to watch the rest of uh, WWE Day One. So, hey, listen, I just, just want to let you know in advance that this call is going to be recorded for quality assurance. But uh, on the line with us right now, of course, Brian Solomon is on the air right now. A new member of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network with a new show launching this month that we are very excited about. Shut up and wrestle. But I'm going to shut up right now and introduce our other guest. But Brian on the line is first of all a man known. Throughout the world, of course, one of the leaders of the entertainment industry on the West Coast, the late Dan Farron is on the line, and of course, the noted hey, wrestling humorist, Scott Cornish. Ah, happy new year, Brian. And that's how you kill a room. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Let me, uh, let me go right to the topic I wanted to talk about, and I mentioned this to Scott off-air before, and I was thinking Dan may be a good person to pull into this. And some of the other guests uh, in a little bit, maybe also, but Brian, I especially wanted you because you and I have talked a little bit about this here and there, but gentlemen, let's talk about this story with the pro wrestling hall of fame. Cause it's a really confusing story for a lot of people. There was a wrestling hall of fame in upstate New York and uh, Brian Solomon, if you can hear me, just mute yourself when you're not talking. So I don't hear uh noise. It'll uh, make you look good in the end. I'll say that, but there was a wrestling hall of fame in upstate New York. At some point, they moved to Wichita Falls, Texas, of course, one of the hotbeds of wrestling, never. And here we are years later. There's another wrestling Hall of Fame with the original people behind that Hall of Fame opening up another Hall of Fame in upstate New York. And the Wichita Falls Hall of Fame featuring lots of memorabilia, lots of priceless wrestling collectibles, I guess you could say. In terms of wrestling research, at a minimum, I know they have the papers of Fred Hornby and J. Michael Kenyon, and those are two of the, really, the original class of wrestling historians. So much of what we have today is built on the research they did at all of their papers, I believe, or with the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Wichita Falls, Tech, Wichita Falls, Texas, let me say that in English, who just, I guess they lost their building. They haven't been answering calls. Johnny Mantel, someone just put something on, I think it was the mothership, a statement from Johnny Mantel, because everyone's saying, where's he? He's supposed to be in charge. Where he's saying he had over 5,000 concussions or something like that. And then someone said they figured it out. It was two a day for his entire life, (laughs) which made no sense. But uh, I don't know who feels like talking about this first, but what? Could be, I, I can't, you know, we can't talk about what could be done or should be done because it's really beyond that. But the Wichita Falls, Texas Hall of Fame situation and the new New York one. Let me start with you, Scott. Let me get your thoughts first. Sure. Um, I went to uh, when they were up here in Schenectady. They started in Schenectady and and uh, people would, would always make fun of it. Like, they, oh, it's some guys, some weirdos are just starting out pro wrestling all the time. But as far as I knew over the, over the 10 or 12 years that they were up here, it really was a serious concerted effort by a, a bunch of, uh, uh, people that did, you know, a, a thankless job and had every good intention and tried to do everything the right way. They never really got sponsorship. They never really got the, the state to get behind them with, with, you know, 
funding or anything like this. So they did the best they could. Uh, I'll, I'll say that the, the dinners and the, and the induction ceremonies and the museum and things like that, they, you know, it ended up in this place, Amsterdam, New York. So I won't make fun of Wichita Falls having never been there because it, if you're telling me that Wichita Falls is, is a smaller, more nothing happening town than Amsterdam, New York, I'd really be surprised. <laughs> but they made they made a good effort. It was a bunch of guys that worked really hard. You can only imagine that it was a completely uh, thankless job all the way around. And it just was people that loved wrestling and wanted this, worked hard for this thing to happen. I don't know exactly what happened. Mantel was there just about every year representing, you know, he wasn't the biggest name anybody he'd ever heard of, but, you know, he would be there all the way up here in New York just about every year. So something or other happened where that 12 years in, all the people up here that were trying really hard to make it happen had had enough, you know, and they, you know, they, they couldn't make it grow. They couldn't get support from the state or whatever like this. So somehow, um, Mantel and people that he knew had a building, had an area had this and that, and, and seemed to think that was the next logical step. And so all that stuff got shipped down to Texas. Uh, I never got to go to the one in Texas. I also never heard a good thing about it. Nothing. I just, I people that I know that I won't name (laughs) that won't say a bad word about anybody had nothing nice to say about, about the Texas Hall of Fame. They, they mostly just said it was completely disorganized. It was just like if you walked into a warehouse you know, <laughs> and you're walking around, you know, and, you know, and, and they had a couple of ceremonies and things like that. And they tried to do it the way they had been doing it up here. Um, and it just, you know, it obviously it, it took even a shorter amount of time for it to, 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 to fall apart down there. Even down there, they had even fewer people and even lost the building that they had. Um, so then it comes down to just a couple of people, including Mantel, who's, who I don't know anything about him, but I know that his health has been very, very poor. Um, so, what I, so now somebody up here suddenly, in the last year or two throughout COVID, it took a long time to get off the, get off the ground, um, started a new Hall of Fame. It's not all the same people. It's certainly not some of the key people starting it, but a lot of people that were involved in the old one starting something up here. And again, it looks like they're, they're making a sincere effort to do something good. Um, but now they're called the International Hall of uh, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. And some of them are associated, but it isn't, it simply isn't all the guys from the old upstate Hall of Fame. It's new people. And they've got other ideas of how they want to run things. And they've got an area that's going to be dedicated. They've got a building, you know, they've got an area where they're going to do all this stuff. And again, you, you applaud the effort. I'm not sure that it just naturally follows. You You know, something weird is going on down in Texas and everybody is rightfully very concerned about it. But at the same time, I don't know if that simply means, Oh, Hey, we're, we're starting something up here in New York. Give us all that stuff that you're not using anymore. 
<laughs> ship it all back up here. You know, the two people down there that are involved with anything. You know, it, it's a confusing situation, and I'm not close to it. And I hope I'm not saying anything uh, anything incorrect. But it's very bizarre. It certainly looks like Texas is dead. So I hope that they'll see their way clear. They're not simply, you know, selling off all those, all those, all that memorabilia and all this. That was my first fear when I saw that message about all the concussions. I was like, boom, there's the excuse of why we sold everything. But who knows? Yeah. Bad situation all around. Brian Solomon, let's pull you into this conversation because you, uh, you were just with Scott at the new hall of fame and you're pretty aware of everything going on. What do you think about all this? Well, I know that, you know, part of the reason why they decided to start up again or or start something new up in New York was was really because of that vacuum that was left behind. Like what Scott was talking about, you know, they had Tony Villano, who was the, the guy that was really heavily involved, too, with the original New York Hall of Fame. I think he felt a little kind of instantly regretful, basically, for, for what they what he did there. And I, I think he when he started seeing that the folks down in Texas, maybe to put it, you know, politically correct, maybe we're not putting in the same level of effort or the same level of competency that they had. Um, the feeling started to spread of like, oh, my God, did we do the right thing? Like, what did we do? I think we just sunk the Hall of Fame. And so o- over yeah. the, the ensuing years, they, there started to be this growing kind of, you know, upswell of, hey, well, let's try to do something here again. And it was uh, a guy named Seth Turner who, you know, he's he's an interesting guy. I got to know him well. I don't know, Scott, if you got to speak to him at all over the Hall of Fame weekend. But he's, you know, he's nah, just briefly. Well, he's a well-educated guy. He's, you know, he's he's a businessman. Um, he is not a carny, I could say in full, uh, confidence. Um, he, but he also happens to be very knowledgeable about wrestling and he's a big fan and he has a lot of contacts, knows a lot of people. So he kind of stepped yeah. in and, and Villano at the time of when they first started, I don't think he's involved with it, but in the very beginning, they were kind of picking his brain and he was consulting with them and, and of, of the best way to do it. Um, one thing I do know about, you know, What's happening down in Texas is Seth and the and the guys up here in New York are watching that situation very closely because my understanding, at least this is what I was told, is that most of that stuff that they have is not owned by them. It's leased to them by whoever, right. you know, kind of donated it. So, I mean, I, I no. even donated. Okay. I, yeah. So, like. I mean, they, there may be things that they own, but for the most part, it's like, okay, the Von Erich family is donating David Von Erich's robe or blah, blah, blah. I mean, I gave them a signed yeah. copy of my book. I mean, you know, things like that. So I would assume that there's going to – if that stuff goes missing, there's going to be a lot of people going, where the hell is my stuff? It's gone so missing. I, it has gone missing. No one yeah, knows where it is. I mean. Yeah. So I think that I think that Seth and those guys are trying to make a concerted effort to locate stuff and to try to bring it up to New York, even if that means directly negotiating with the people who originally donated it. Now, that sounds like a huge, messy enterprise. So, so I mean, who the heck knows how it's going to shake out? But but that's what I understand is happening right now as far as that. Yeah. What, a, what a mess. Uh, Scott, yeah, anything? Uh, Scott, you uh, sound like you were about to jump in, but I want to get Dan's thoughts on all this. But, Scott, you go first. 
No, other than than I I knew I don't know, but I had met Tony Volano, the the, the original uh, fella. Hey, he, he's just you could describe him the same way that you described uh, Seth Turner. He, he has his own business up in this area, and running that Hall of Fame meant a lot to him. And he and he and a, a bunch of other people on his team put a lot of effort into it over twelve years. You know. And, you know, and they, you know, it was hard work and frustrating, you know, <laughs> you know, with very little, with very little uh, acknowledgement or reward, you know, so I can see where after a short time, you know, after that time, they would, uh, they, they would be anxious to move along. And uh, I don't know who other than Mantel was involved in the transfer, all that stuff down to Texas. Um but you can see that that they had the same problems that they had up here, uh, maybe even in, to a greater degree, and uh, and and over a shorter period of time, you know. <laughs> but but yeah, I didn't know about all that stuff being leased. Uh, people are already concerned. I don't think anybody's any you know something bad could happen to all all all, all the stuff that they're that they're discussing. Um, and I hope it doesn't, but you know, I don't know what you can do with that stuff if you if you buy it from somebody under the table. You can't do anything with it except put it in your garage and say, "Oh, it's mine now." You know, right? But, but um, which we certainly, of course, we hope that that doesn't happen. But um, but again, you, you just have to to hope that uh, that, that you know. Whoever ends up with that stuff, whoever did, you know, certainly those guys built that collection over 12 years. Um, so they and the original owners of that stuff, you know, I just saw amazing stuff over the years. Did you ever get to visit the the Amsterdam Hall of Fame? I did. Yeah, I, I went there once uh, because my wife is from that area. So I, oh. you know, I probably. I, I should have gone more often than once that being the case, but I did get to go one time and I was, it's like you said, I, I was kind of blown away. Like I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. This was about 2013. And I thought, I mean, it, look, no offense to those guys, but I kind of was skeptical. Like, Oh, is this some rinky dink little thing where it's like, there's yeah. a couple of posters on the wall. Why people would think that. Right. Yeah. Or my I other thought was. What... Yeah. But, but people that were inducted, you know, that made the trip up there. Yeah, I can't speak for all of them, but I know a lot of them were really, uh, you know, really moved by the by the honor, you know? Sure. And, by and what, a common... What, they had a, done. what a lot Army of them would say... Sorry. Well, hold on, you guys are both talking over each other. Hold on, Brian Solomon had a second thing before he was about to jump to. Let him finish that, and then we'll go back to you, Scott. What were we going to say, Brian? No, I, I was... God, I, I don't think I remember it now. I'm sorry, Scott. Please, please, please continue. I'll, I'll, I'll think of it. No, it's just, just that you know, you can be forgiven for thinking that, uh, but it would bug me where people who never, who had never been, would say, "Oh my God, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's in Amsterdam, New York." I would tell people from Albany, which is the next town over, and they'd say, "Really? That's you know, <laughs> they had no idea that it, that it existed." But it would be Harley Race wore his Amsterdam Hall of Fame ring, uh, you know, everywhere until he died. Orndorff the same way. 
and others, you know, it meant a lot to him, you know, I, I'm sure there were some cynical, cynical wrestlers that were just like, Oh, what is this? You know? Um, uh, but it meant a lot to, to some guys that don't get that much recognition for a lifetime, you know? Um, and I, I thought it was a, a good effort on all, everyone's part. And I hope that, uh, this thing, I liked the, uh, they had a, a rough go of it, just getting their initial events this year off the, off the ground. It took years because of COVID and other things, you know? And now it looks they've really made a good effort, Seth and these people. And I hope that uh, that it continues to grow and get bigger and better. You know what? Actually, what I w- you, should, you should go. You should go up and see it before you put it down. <laughs> Did I put it down? I put down the Wichita Falls location for sure. No, 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 no. I don't. I'm not talking about you specifically. Ah. But I remember people all the time were like, "Oh, every year it's the same people. It's it's you know, it's Davey O'Hannon and." You know, you know, maybe not the biggest names that you ever heard of, but but uh, I think part of the problem is, I mean, with when it comes to the location, I hate to say it, but when you said yeah. that people around there were surprised by being in Amsterdam, I think people who grew up by me in Long Island never heard of Amsterdam, New York. So when yeah, it's a no, place absolutely. in New York that you've never that's heard true. of, it sound you figure you're going to Canada. Yeah, I mean that's what it sounds like. Yeah, well that's. <laughs> It, there there must be something about New York State because there's a boxing hall of fame in Canastota. Right. And when you go up to it, you first you go, Canastota, where the hell is that? Then when you go to it, you go, This this looks like, you know, a, a kiosk. This doesn't even look like a like a building, you know. Or not to mention the baseball hall of fame. Everyone knows about the baseball hall of fame in Cooperstown, but what the hell is in Cooperstown? Nothing. You know, corn. But at least there's a but but there's a story that ties back to the origin of baseball, whether it's well, a mythical origin of baseball or the actual origin of baseball, <laughs> and they've taken over that entire town. I mean, Cooperstown is a baseball town yeah. now. Well, it is not. It is now, but I imagine when it, you know, but even now, it it is in the middle of nowhere. It's a, really is a destination thing. At least now, hopefully, if this thing gets off the ground, it'll be in Albany, which is you know known and a, <laughs> a decent sized town and other things that can go on there. And, you know, and they've got a lot of facilities and things at their, uh, at their disposal. Mm-hmm. We hope that our fingers crossed. So Dan, I understand you're bringing back the Vern Langding slammers hall of fame, correct? <laughs> you, you're bound right. determined. I, I said, I said, I know Brian's going to come back around to that again. I know. <laughs> um, but it, it's funny because actually I do want to say something that ties in with that. Um, the bigger problem here, and I have never been to the other two, uh, uh, hall of fames. The biggest problem here is what is happening to professional wrestling's history. Where is this stuff? Where is it? I mean, I don't like the fact, I mean, everybody tries to put together a hall of fame all the time, but the truth of the matter is, is that most of, of professional wrestling history is in attics, is in basements, is in storage facilities, is in, in bus lockers, uh, someplace locked up um, and is, is sitting and, and disintegrating. And uh, I would love to see, um, uh, uh, I would love to see if somebody could put something together. I don't want, I would like to see wrestling historians working on this. Um, I don't mind wrestling people involved with it, but I, I just automatically kind of get nervous anytime 
people who are wrestlers are involved in, in putting something together like this. I would love to see somebody come in and set up a, a you know a nice centrally located place. Uh, you know, people who have worked at, at museums or other halls of fame who have a vested interest in it, but at the same time, um, you know, weren't involved in wrestling and don't like to play fast and loose uh, because there's a lot of stuff. I, and, and you referenced Slammers. Slammers was a place out here uh, in the, uh, where actually I got my first start refereeing. It was, uh, the idea of it was, it was supposed to be a gym where people could rent the ring by the hour and they signed a, a waiver and some guys would bring like Billy Anderson would, would bring people in and then have classes there. Or if you wanted to get together on a weekend and rent the place out for two hours, you and your friends could get in there and, and dislocate each other's shoulders and do all that stuff. That freaking mat was hard. Uh, people, that's not the, the WWE type of mat, but uh, they also had a small hall of fame area there. And <clears throat> from what I know, is that I had a, a, a falling out with Slammers and left several years earlier, and then eventually the whole place shut down. Uh, I was told that Vern Langdon, who owned it at that point, sold it off to somebody else. I'm not sure who it was. And as far as I know, all that memorabilia was packed up and is sitting in a storage bin somewhere. At least I hope that's the case, or it may be the case. I have no idea. Things, are, uh, things like, for example... Gorgeous George Rope, a couple of Gorgeous George's. That's Rope, what I wanted you to explain. His- yeah, it's not yeah. a Slammers Hall of Fame in terms of everything's about Slammers. It was actually things that Vern right. Langdon had compiled over the years, including things like Gorgeous George. Yeah, he had a couple robes of, of Gorgeous George. He had one of Bobby Heenan's singlets. Uh, he had uh, a lot of George memorabilia because he loved Gorgeous George. Uh, you know, matchbooks from his bar, ashtrays. Uh, there was, I think Fabulous Moolah donated uh, one of her older, uh, championship belts. Uh, there was just a lot of stuff. I can't remember all, but I had some pictures of it still, but I don't remember all of it. And as far as I know, this stuff was packed up and sitting in a storage somewhere, or it could have been sold or traded or, you know, or somebody, you know, uh, foreclosed on it. It's gone, you know, and this bothers me. And I remember also being at a Russell reunion like 12, 13 years ago, and the Torres family was there. And uh, I was talking to them and they said, oh, I want you to see something. And they pulled this beaten up little suitcase out from under uh, the table there and they opened it up and there was Enrique Torres's championship belt. Uh, just sitting there, going back to, to his heyday uh, when this man who should be in every Hall of Fame uh, was was uh, on TV as, as one of the champions. And, you know, there, peop- there should be people looking after this stuff so it doesn't wind up, you know, uh, either getting into the, the, the WWE where it's, it's stuck in a big storage bin or traded and sold. Like, I mean, I, when I watched that show, I was horrified by that show that, you know, okay, you give me this and I'll give you that. That's great if you're oh trading baseball yeah. cards. Yeah. It's not what I want to see when it comes to the history of the sport. Um, from the 80s up, we should be kind of okay. But there's, you know, prior to the 1980s, uh, hell, out here in California, there's only four or five of us who are aware of California history prior to 1980. You know, and, and we ain't getting any younger. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I actually I have all my wrestling stuff I have in boxes. And I, have a, I told my uh, wife, I said, I have a note on top of who gets what or how, what to do with each of the stuff. So it doesn't just wind up disappearing, you know? And I, I wish a lot of people would do that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I, I would love to see an actual pro wrestling hall of fame someplace 
but it, but that it was run like an actual museum. Uh, and they aren't people, you know, say, Hey, come out of the alley and I'll trade you, uh, uh, you want to kill Kowalski's toupees for, uh, uh, you know, fireballs thrown <laughs> by the street, that kind of thing. You know, I would love to see that kind of stuff. And that's what worries me. That's when I hear this stuff going on, I keep saying, Oh my God, this, this history of the sport is just disappearing or going to your house, Brian, either one. I don't know which one it is, but it's one of the two. You know, there's a few things there. One of the reasons there were a lot of different reasons. One of the reasons I purchased the Wrestling News Archive, everything from Pro Wrestling Enterprises, mm-hmm. from Brian Bucantis, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, one of the biggest mensches I've ever dealt with. If I could do all my business deals with him, yeah. I would. Just one of the real terrific people I've ever dealt with. And certainly someone so good to deal with, it surprises me he ever had anything to do with wrestling. <laughs> Just a really, really yeah, good uh, guy. Exactly. And when I purchased it, you know, in my head, I'm thinking of all the projects that I could do in the future. A lot of them involve wrestling history. I mean, long term, to what you're saying, Dan, I kind of see what I'd like to do. And, you know, you have dreams and it may take some time, but usually my dreams happen. I would like to create an online database with material. Mm-hmm. So not in a Hall of Fame where you can walk in and see, uh, you know, right. Luthez's trunks, but where you could actually track history in a three-dimensional, a 360 point of view, I guess I should right. say way i have a vision i have a way i want to do it and we'll see what happens in the future but with wrestling news i looked at the options and i looked at what else is out there and it's like okay here's what's gonna happen wwe will buy it and bury it it'll be buried in a warehouse and i know who they have there as experts and those people don't know too much about wrestling history at least compared to right me or people i respect and i hate to put myself on that level but quite frankly i am um so they'll bury it. They'll bury it in their fucking warehouse. And for the record, they actually tried to come in and kill the deal at the last minute and get my deal. And again, to mm-hmm. to the level of person Brian Bucantis is, he honored the deal we had. Uh, and w- what a tremendous guy. What a tremendous human being. And the other thought was, okay, this gets into the hands of private collectors. Parts of the collection, there's a whole lot here are nine file cabinets, the original file cabinets, the original files mm-hmm. from Ring Wrestling, from Wrestling Review, from Wrestling News, original Stanley West and stuff. I mean, it's all there. Some independent collector gets it and they say, okay, let's take out the Andre the Giant folder. Andre the Giant folder for sale on eBay. And they try to get as much as they can for it. Yeah. And yeah. I looked at it and I look at it to this day as an entire document. That file cabinet system, those nine file cabinets, beyond everything else and is more, but those nine file cabinets are an important historical wrestling document. I'm not breaking them up. They're staying together. I won't, right. you know, even when they're moved, I won't let the drawers be taken out. No, they have to be moved as is. This is the way they will be moved from one location to another because it's important. And, you know, it's it's... It's a sad thing that people do that. The Paul Bosch estate sale was pretty awful, uh, all things considered. When you look at what happened to the amazing collection of Paul Bosch, Peter Burkholz got very, very little, and that's the person who Paul Bosch, quite frankly, wanted to get a lot of stuff. Nick Bockwinkle yeah. got some stuff. I got you know most of the programs, I believe, from the Nick Bockwinkle uh, Houston collection. Bruce Pritchard, unfortunately, after, uh, as it was put to me years ago, years of work in The Widow. Uh, finally got in good enough, so he was able to get a whole bunch of stuff. And then WWE 
got the Nick Bockwinkle stuff that Nick Bockwinkle had, and then it did an estate sale of everything that was left over. And I'll tell you, I actually talked to the person running the estate sale the day before. I offered her any amount of money she wanted. I said, I'll take everything. My goal was to keep everything intact, and I'll rent a building. I could put everything in, and I'm going to just try to keep everything intact. That's my only goal. And she said that, unfortunately, we have an obligation. We have to sell it to the people of Houston first. And I said, I said, all right, let me know what's left over. I'll give you my credit card on file if you want. Just ring me up. I'll take whatever it is as long as it's a, not a ridiculous price. They opened up the doors. They immediately started selling stuff. These people went in there, not even wrestling fans. I mean, that's the thing. There were some wrestling fans who went in there and tried yeah. to take advantage of the situation and buy a bunch of stuff just so they could resell mm. it. There was some of that. Then there are just these estate sales hawks. They look for estate sales everywhere they go, and they go there and buy everything they can and just put everything on eBay. That's why the intact collection of Paul Bosch programs, where everyone's payoff was listed, everyone's signed contracts were there, everything was intact. All of those programs, the people who bought them, just started selling them off one by one and then breaking off the contracts and selling those one by one. They destroyed wrestling history. They took a living document yeah. and destroyed it. Uh, for re relatively not that much money. I know people are getting a lot of money for Andre the Giant autographs, and if that's a lot of money, you know, if that's how you got to make your money by selling these things, like, whatever, you know, Lachaim. But that one was pretty sad to me, and I, luckily I was able to get a few things, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah. I've got now multiple reels of Paul Bosch doing a, a reading of whatever happened to Gorgeous George. I may be airing those on the Super Podcast at some point. Oh, that's wonderful. But that was my concern with wrestling news to be quite honest with you, there are other uh, entities that are currently engaged in talks with me and uh, associates of mine or people on my behalf. And my goal isn't to go out there and just, you know, try to churn out money from everything. I, w I would like to make some money on these things. I'd love it. I'd love it if yeah. I made any of my money back. I mean, I don't know if that'll ever happen, <laughs> though. And to me, that's not what it's about. My thing is, I'm in a position where I can preserve these things and take care of them. And where I can, I'm going to. And I'm also going to, wherever I can, push people to other people who I think are reliable. And no, look, I don't know Johnny Mantell. I really don't. I know what I saw on TV. I know he's not Ken Mantell. <laughs> I know he's Johnny Mantell. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe this is just me, but if I had a bunch of really valuable things, I'd find another option. I'm sorry. There were no other options. There's a lot of wrestling fans with money. There's a lot of wrestling fans who would have been able to help out. There were no other options than sending everything across the country to Johnny Mantell. Even if you're going to send it across the country, you're not sending it to some seasoned executive who has time and money and they could do anything. You sent it to Johnny Mantell and now it's all missing. Yeah. That's the other thing. I mean, I think wrestling needs more responsible people. I think wrestling needs more really good executives. I think there's a lot of things wrestling needs and who knows? We'll see what the next few years turn out. But uh, I'm trying to do my part, whatever that may be. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying there, Brian, because uh, several years ago, um, Jeff Walton from the Olympic Auditorium decided he Great wanted guy. to get rid of all Great his. Yeah, yeah, wonderful guy. Wanted to get rid of all his uh, wrestling memorabilia. And he went to Eric Caden, who is a wrestling fan who used to back roll, uh, you know, uh, payroll some of the stuff we did, wrestling shows. And, and Eric had a place in Hollywood called Hollywood Book and Poster. And uh, he brought it in there and his first idea was put everything in files and whatever, and let's sell this stuff off. And I came in there and, um, and Eric wasn't the, wasn't the most, uh, uh, everything wasn't always the neatest in there. 
And he told me what it was. I looked through and saw what it was. And I said, uh, are, are you selling this stuff? And he goes, yeah. I said, I'll buy all four boxes because I knew that if something happened or if they broke them up, there are newsletters in there, there's programs in there, there's resumes, there's rundown sheets, there's magazines, there's all this stuff, there's pictures. Uh, and my fear was that it was going to wind up uh, you know, being sold piecemeal off here and there and, and, and the stuff that had valuable information mm. in it. And I, uh, I bought all four of the boxes from Eric oh, and, good. uh, and good. they're here and they're, and by the way, they're here with your name on them, Brian. I told my wife, if anything happens to me, call Brian last. Oh, I, uh, you know, it's so, funny. I, I was hoping you would say that. Cause I have a note here for uh, my wife that says, if anything happens to me, put all of Dan's stuff on eBay instantly. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, I had that stuff. It, because the main thing is I, I, I'm taking information out of it. And when I'm done, I want it to go to somebody who will archive it. I don't want, I mean, I have 1960s newsletters in there from, from LA area that, that Jeff himself did, you know, on a, on a typewriter and stuff. And, uh, you know, I, and, and what happened was, and this is a, a typical example, Eric passed away and his family got into an argument over who owned what in his, uh, at, in his store. And they took everything in the store and they put it in storage and it's been locked up for the last three years. And who knows what whatever ha- will ever happen to that, and uh, that's why I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm glad that I got that stuff out of there. And and it's not a, it's not a lot, but it's just my little part of trying to salvage, especially for Los Angeles, which has so little, uh, you know, uh, history left yeah. around here. Uh, you know, just to hang on to that, and and that's what if everybody would just do that and just you know try to collect some stuff and and like you said, to a, a central database like you're talking about. Um, that would be so invaluable as, as, as the time ticks away and, uh, and, and we can't save everything, but we could still save something at this point. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there are still things turning up. There are still things that are being discovered. There are still people who are opening, like you said earlier, Dan, their attics or their basements and they're finding things and they're getting out there. I just think to attempt to try to keep things together and, you know, again, it's a long-term project and it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take money, but I think there are things that could be done to help preserve everything. And why shouldn't wrestling be treated like everything else? I guess that's the point of it. Right. Correct. So Brian Solomon, what are your thoughts on all this? Because obviously you've seen it from an outside point of view. When I say outside, I just mean uh, us commoners, us peasants. And you've also seen the way they do things in Stanford in terms of documenting history and they have their own warehouse and stuff. And what are your thoughts on, uh, as someone who just spent a lot of time researching the Sheik, which wasn't an easy task, and you didn't get a lot of help from certain members of the family, None. as someone who just spent a lot of time doing all of that, what are your thoughts on the idea of trying to preserve history, of history lost, of everything we just talked about? Well, you know, the WWE kind of uh, elephant in the room or whatever you want to call it is is really important because what you got to remember about them and because I did see it from the inside, um, they really have the resources to buy anything that they actually really want badly enough. And right. um, the only thing, the only reason why there are things they don't own is because they didn't consider it worth it to spend whatever was needed to be spent. Like I know, for example, um, they tried from what I heard to basically buy the entire New York Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, just buy it out completely, shut it down, and take all their stuff. And um, for whatever reason, maybe they, I mean, the less cynical side of me likes to think that <laughs> those guys were like, no, we're not doing that. 
but I don't know if it was just a matter of, well, they're asking for too much money. I don't know, but I do know that they were trying. I also know, like, a, for example, another incredible photo archive is uh, what they have at Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you know, that I'm constantly drawing from for the articles that I write for them. And I know that WWE over the years has made overtures to buy them out, too, completely just for their photo library. But uh, I think Kappa Publishing, which owns them, won't sell it or at least, you know, won't sell it for what they were offering. So, I mean, the good news is because you're right. I mean, anything they get their hands on, it's going to be like the warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's basically what you're looking at. So the good news is that in recent years, they really are not as bullish about going after that stuff as they used to be. Um, because they just like, this is another reason why they've sort of slowed down and really stopped in terms of buying like video libraries and things, because they don't really see it as being, uh, I don't know. It, it wasn't as enough of a revenue stream as what they had hoped, all this old nostalgia stuff. And for them, that's all it comes down to, right? Is the monetization of it. And, and, uh, you know what, if that's plus, what motivates, well, I was just going to say, plus the other thing is. And this may be a bigger topic for another time. This stuff they bought, they bought the master tapes, dude. They don't actually own the actual rights to any of the content. They still use it and air it. But that's another story for another time. I don't know. Is that the case for every library, though? I think in some cases they might they might really own the distribution rights as well. I think it's it in some cases. On... I'm not saying it's in every case, right. but I know for a fact there is certain content that they have no rights to whatsoever. They only own the right. tapes to. But anyway. No, no, no. I think you're right about that. And that might be a factor as to why. And I'm just speculating here. For example, they own the Florida stuff, but you never, almost never see any of it. None of it's on the network or Peacock. They almost never do anything with it. One of the only times I've ever seen it was when they put out the Dusty Rhodes box set years and years ago. And I think that was the main reason why they bought it. Um, and then they just locked it up. And I, I don't know if it's just because maybe it's a rights thing or it could also be that there wasn't a whole lot of it. Maybe a lot of it was taped over, but you know, they no, don't there's a, No, There's a ton of it. There's a ton of it. The issue. Well, they're not doing anything with it. Well, that's the, the, the issue. There's several issues. One is they don't know how to market that content. And I know that sounds crazy. You're talking about WWE, a marketing powerhouse from the day they announced the network, they have bombed when it comes to marketing their classic content. Why weren't there concerted local efforts in hotbeds from the past where you had entire runs like Mid-South or Georgia? Local campaigns saying this stuff is there. There was nothing there. So none of those people, none of the people who don't watch wrestling anymore, none of the people who used to watch it but still watch it, and they weren't. this wasn't going to be advertised on the network, none of those people had any idea that that wrestling they grew up on was on the network. They've done a bad job of marketing that. And then the other thing is there isn't a big market for you know, let's talk about Florida. Oh, my God, we got Mike Graham and, and you know, Bob Roop. There isn't a big market for that, but there is a market for that. And WWE has actually never done a good job of micro-marketing wrestling content, uh, like a handmade division. Rhino had handmade, where, you know, the Stooges Funhouse, uh, Scott probably knows, it, right. didn't, it didn't sell a lot of records. It didn't sell a lot of records at all, but the people who, like, me or Scott, who like that album, love that album. They put out a custom box set. It was limited in number. It was comprehensive. It was multiple discs. It was multiple hundreds of dollars, I think. And it sold out. Yeah. 
because it was to the right audience. And they have all this old content and people like us are doing shows because there are people out there who want to listen to stuff about classic wrestling content. There's a reason why Jim Cornette's shows are the two biggest shows of all time. It's not just current reviews and it's not just classic wrestling. It's the mix. But there's a massive classic wrestling audience. And a lot of it's ignored, but it's an audience that isn't catered to in any way, with the exception of some people like us who cater to them in the ways we can. But I think that's part of the issue. They have all this stuff. They don't know what to do with it. They'll never admit that because it's not just an easy mass marketing thing. It takes some time and some effort. But Jesus Christ, they could have developed a custom DVD subscription service. I could think of a thousand different things they could have done in the last 15 years to market all of that content and make money with it instead there's of also, burying it in the warehouse. And that's what they did. Well, there's not a lot – well, there's not enough people on the inside that really truly value – that stuff. I know this comes as no shock to anybody, but I can confirm that there's not enough people that really understand the importance of it, that value it, especially if you're talking about non WWF stuff and certainly pre, you know, WrestleMania era stuff, it, or even, even for WWF, it's like, it's just, there's not enough people there that really even know what they're looking at, that really understand that this is important to a lot of people. Like I, I know people that were involved in the digitization process or whatever the heck it was for the network when they initially launched it in terms of like loading all the content, like doing the real grunt work. And they had like these teams of people that were hired to do this. And I was told this, that when it came to like all the old territorial stuff, it was like for the people they had doing it, it was torture. It was like the job you didn't want to get because it was so boring and nobody cared about it and nobody wanted to watch this lame stuff where they didn't even know who anybody was. I know it's really depressing, but that was the process of even putting this content together. So that kind of informs, you know, the whole operation. They just don't value it enough. That's all it comes down to. They And, and I was on the inside kind of trying to be the voice of reason for some of these things and seeing when pallets of stuff, as I've said, were coming in and were just being – put in a corner somewhere and you know the people that were supposed to be organizing it didn't even know who anybody was in any of the photography you know i i tried but i am but one man you know <laughs> and i'm not there anymore <laughs> and there's not there weren't enough of me there that was the problem i mean they're producing dvds and again well, actually they're not producing dvds anymore but in the past when they produced dvds and documentaries on dvds i f forget which one it was one of the ones where they attempted to explain their version of georgia wrestling history they talked about the promoters, and they said Paul Jones, and they show a picture of Paul Jones with a mustache on TBS. They don't even know who yeah. the different Paul Joneses are. I mean, there's no one there. There's no quality control for wrestling history. It's not a priority for mm -hmm. WWE, but this is not a surprise. But we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about wrestling history. Let me add the next person, because he messaged me before and said, what the hell's going on? Uh, in a much nicer <laughs> way. In a much nicer way. So let me see if I have him here. I believe I do. Let's see if he'll answer the phone. We'll go to our next topic. I'm curious to hear what everyone thinks about. And of course, we could always touch on previous topics. Brock Lesnar has been thrown through something on this show, whatever the hell it is. We are calling this person. Still calling. Ooh. Hello. Church of Jabariath, may I uh, save your soul? Ladies and gentlemen, returning to the Super Podcast, returning to Holiday Star Wars, a man known by many different names, of course, Vandal Drummond, Rockin' Jerry Brown, 
The HIV kid, I can't say that <laughs> in a straight face. Lucky Pierre. But I think to us... Tele Evangelist, Tele Evangelist. Don't forget him. Well, of course, to the Super Podcast, you are the beloved Kurt Brown. Welcome back to the show, Kurt. Thank you. How you cats doing? Doing all right. On the line with hey, us, Kurt. we have noted wrestling historian Scott Cornish. We have... Ah. Historian. Oh, no, historian. Excuse me. He's not a historian. He knows nothing. He is... Noted wrestling humorist, <laughs> Scott Cornish. We have the author of the upcoming biography of the Sheik, and I know you're going to want to read that, Kurt. Brian I've Solomon. already ordered it. <laughs> Brian Solomon's on the line, and of course, your very good friend, Mr. Hollywood himself, Dan Farron. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Mr. Hollywood. He goes uh, hitting the streets with Rock Riddle, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they dress alike, they talk alike. <laughs> Kurt, have you gotten... Kurt, Kurt, have you gotten the uh, the email uh, yet from uh, Rock Riddle? He's he's teaching a class and uh, how to uh, in television to film how to act like you know how to use a gun. Have you seen that yet? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Are you serious? Yeah, uh, he's, yeah, he's teaching concealed carry classes also. So I mean, that's that's the person yeah. you want to learn about. Learn okay, about. now if yeah. he's selling then, if he's selling a video. The, uh, yeah, no, no, that, this that, is no, this is a live, this is a live. No, class. no, no. By the way, I won't take his class, but if he's selling a video where he demonstrates uh, his method of operation. I'm there. <laughs> he actually, he actually sent out an email for this class the day of the Alec Baldwin situation. I mean, just to show uh, that uh, wrestlers, wrestlers never miss a chance. Uh, never miss a chance. Well, you know, you know, if oh, I if okay. I may jump in, guys. Speaking of emails, I'm just curious, Dan and Kurt, and anyone else who wants to jump mm -hmm. in. Kurt, I'll start with you. You're the newcomer here on the call. A, are you happy you survived Cauliflower Alley? And B, have you received any of the emails from Mike Leno blaming CAC for many different COVID-related things <laughs> to and including death? I did not go to Cauliflower Alley. Oh. <laughs> That's why I survived it. <laughs> oh, I actually didn't realize you didn't go this year. I had no intention of going. I, uh... I just uh, I I still feel it's not safe to come out and play, especially uh, being somebody who had had uh, lymphoma. And uh, uh, after I went through chemo, I probably called in sick to work more often than um, <laughs> just about anybody else in the office. So no, I'm still gonna play it safe. Well, thank God. No thank live God wrestling shows for a while. Yeah. Well, Dan, what are your thoughts about? I mean. Like I, I joked before, but I've heard from several people about the Mike Leno emails all about COVID and CAC. But I, Dan, I, what are your thoughts? I, for, some, for some reason, I am not on Mike's list. I have no idea why. This, this is the first time I'm actually hearing that. He thinks you're dead, of course. He uh, thinks you're awesome. dead! <laughs> he thinks you're dead! That's why, Dan! He does! <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, I have not gotten that email. I would I would love to yeah. see it and just love to see what... Oh no, my God! Um, this... Go ahead. Oh, and I said when, when when my wife and I went to Cauliflower, we we looked at it. I, I went to my doctor and said, "Okay, you know, what do you think?" Uh, you know, and and she gave me some rules to do, and uh, basically we stayed. My wife and I stayed away from uh, large crowds or whatever, and we wore our mask all the time, which a lot of people did not. Um, but what one thing that did work in this situation was it was a much smaller crowd. Uh, as well, Brian, you were there too. So, you know, yes. um, that's where I, we got a chance to meet. Um, so, um, you know, it was, um, uh, you know, the, the most dangerous thing that happened to me 
uh, in the entire Cauliflower Alley was uh, Rob Van Dan uh, spilled a beer all over me. But that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that was the worst thing that happened to me there. Oh, yeah. Lord. I would just love to see how the claims about Cauliflower Alley this year have been translated into uh, uh, Lane Louise. Well, I could confirm the, the email because I did get one of those. So <laughs> You're not I, the only I, one. I haven't received yep. it, but I received – I, well, I can forward it to you. Correspondence of several. Yes, please. Please. I'd like, I'd like to oh, see please. It. Por favor. It's easily <laughs> about. It's easily the length of about twelve CVS receipts. I would say. <laughs> oh. You know what that about means? Right. That, Is that the subject that line or the that, email? <laughs> it should. Well, it's, it's, it's all Barnett, one. <laughs> Bob Barnett has a new edition, a new volume to his uh, Leno files. Have you talked to Bob? How's he doing? We touched base about five, six months ago. Um, he seems to be doing fine. Well, in fact, maybe that's a cue to give him another email because uh, it looks like he doesn't do social media anymore. Well, in fact, he confirmed to me he doesn't do social media anymore, just got burned out on it. But, yeah, he's uh, living in Huntington Beach. I think he's probably about the only left winger on his block, and he's proud of it, and I'm proud yeah. of him. Yeah, Bob's great. Bob's always looking. Bob's always ready. Actually, he's not looking. He's ready for a fight. If you want to fight, yep. he's my kind of guy. You want to fight, he'll give oh, it he to you. he teases a fight. He's oh, not yeah. looking for a fight. He What what he does is better. He puts out bait. He puts out bait. <laughs> <laughs> and he sits there just with that, like, that wry smile on his face, that half smile, like, oh, boy, am I going to be eaten tonight. <laughs> no, he he's the best. There are times in the past. Where I know people think like they got him, like they zinged him. And then you talk to Bob and he's laughing. He's having the greatest fucking time. He's in heaven. Yeah. He's, <laughs> you, can't, uh, you can't beat Bob. You cannot beat Bob. Oh, he's this is right. Favorites. I wouldn't even try, you know. Yeah. I got to call Bob up. We got to get him back. I, you know, because I haven't seen him on social media and I've been busy. It's like I, I didn't even realize I haven't heard from Bob in a while. And then we exchanged emails a little while ago. Uh, but I got to get in touch with Bob. One of my favorite people on the entire planet. Uh, Bob Barnett. Well, oh man, I I, I have uh, so many books I got for Christmas to read, and I'm think I'm looking forward to reading uh, the uh, uh, well, like you said, the uh, CVS length uh, list of <laughs> Mike Leno claims. I I already like the claims people were already making about Cauliflower Alley. The, my favorite one is the people who got sick from COVID at Cauliflower Alley didn't get sick because of the people at Cauliflower Alley is because the other people in the casino were spreading germs. Oh, I didn't know that was determined. There were several, several people made that claim. <laughs> <That's certainly laughs> it had nothing to do with the wrestling. Yeah, that sounds a yeah. bit ridiculous. Sounds but, uh, like a Phil Hendry sketch. It sounds perfect. <laughs> I didn't. Well, I didn't even stay at the same hotel where they were having the thing. That was the that was the uh, kind of uh, negotiation I had to have with my wife because we wanted to make it a nice trip to Vegas, and she was like, "Okay, but you have to promise me we're not going to stay at the Gold Coast." And I was like, "Okay, I could I could make that uh, <laughs> deal as a, I, yeah. I'll get to go to Cauliflower Alley. We're just going to take a lot of taxi cabs up and down the boulevard, and then we stayed at the Mirage." Yeah, I stayed at the Rio across the street for the last three years, and uh, it, in comparison, when I think about the Gold Coast, I, if I was to get a room there again, I picture opening the door uh, and seeing Dr. Jerry Graham with all his old <laughs> stew bum friends in the Imperial and the Bristol Hotel. Yeah. Uh, Kurt, I have some breaking news. It appears that Brock Lesnar 
at WWE Day 1 in Atlanta, Georgia. Brock Lesnar, ladies and gentlemen, has indeed won a belt. I don't know which one it is. It is either Universal or World. Something to deal with a planet or something out there in the galaxy. (laughs) Brock Lesnar is, in fact, now that champion uh, winning this match over multiple other people. I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. I'm about to lose control, and I think I like it. Kurt, is there any wrestling currently exciting you? Uh, well, I know this isn't popular with some people, but uh, I, for the first time in almost a year, I watched four straight hours of wrestling, um, <laughs> four straight hours of AEW, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it is, What'd you watch? in my mind, you know, I watched uh, two weeks worth, and I saw the, um, the Danielson versus Hangman Page oh, match, which that I was really great. enjoyed. That was fantastic. Yeah. What yeah. match. And I got I gotta be honest, even the even the low points I enjoy. It's just like because uh, I think back on the wrestling that I watched growing up, and if you go through every T V show, there was always something that you just roll your eyes at, no matter you know what maybe you know, I have I have not sat down and watched lots of Mid Atlantic, so there might be an exception there, but um uh, you know, to me, it's like the combination of Cirque du Soleil, a uh, little kung fu fighting, and lots of Titanis in El Ring. To me, the wackier it gets, the better. Have you seen the new NXT? I guess it's not new, but they redid the building, and it, to me, it reminds me of the old Titanis in El Ring set. No way. <laughs> that would make it worth watching for me. No, it won't. No, it really isn't <laughs> worth watching. No. I don't want I don't want to mislead you, Kurt. I really like you. Don't watch it, NXT. You'll hate yourself. So so what you're saying is there's no mummies, no spacemen, then it's not worth it. No mummies, no spacemen. But it's it, it's not like it's not like you and Jim hadn't been saying for years, oh, this building is so dark, you can't see anything. <laughs> we you know we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they changed it, and you said, oh, this this is worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, it coincided with them changing their product also. I mean, it was all worse, but yeah. one, one other thing I did want to ask, Kurt, you mentioned you ordered um, Brian's book about the Sheik, and anyone else wants to talk about the Sheik here, let's talk about him uh, briefly. I'm curious, you're someone from California, you're someone who loves wrestling history, you love weird wrestling characters. What are you looking forward to learning about the Sheik from this book? I think more than anything, I'm uh, fascinated just about his transition of being the Sheik I saw in some of those, uh, you know, like really old videos of him, early 50s, how he transforms into who he became. And I was always fascinated just how they presented him here in SoCal because he rarely appeared on TV. It was... Once, a, in fact, Dan, I remember yeah. the time he threw the fire at Lou Anthony and missed by mm-hmm. by a mile. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that kind of oh, yeah, that, that kind of. I'm that sorry. That was like seventy. That was like late seventy four. Yeah, that. Yes. Uh, yeah, they, they they it was it was basically textbook chic. I mean, they brought him in like a week before the show. And hey, Brian, let me ask you a question about sure. this, uh, Miss uh, Mrs. Solomon. Uh, did in the book anywhere uh, did you touch on the sheik's relationship with the labels here in california because i find that to be very interesting yeah there's there's actually a lot about that in there because Good. i was lucky enough to be able to talk to uh, to jeff to jeff walton 
And mm-hmm. I mean, he was literally, well, figuratively, the fly on the wall for a lot of that stuff. So, I mean, he was there, you know, he was able to mm-hmm. tell me about conversations they had. And it's actually one of the most kind of poignant parts of the story because uh, the Sheik used to love going out to California because he liked to shop Rodeo Drive. You know, Jeff has talked about that. He would take him shopping for suits and all this kind of all of his like fancy duds that he would wear. And he loved going out there and having a good time. It was close to Vegas. Him and Mike LaBelle were really tight and they would take these trips to Vegas together in between shows and just gamble and have fun. But the relationship kind of fell apart as the Sheik's career and reputation started to fall apart. Mike LaBelle kind of started to distance himself from Sheik and Jeff found himself in the middle of having to like mitigate between these two guys who he liked and respected and and be diplomatic and also keep his job. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I, I found out about that relationship that I didn't know. Jeff Walton and Art Williams were probably the two ultimate goodwill ambassadors of L.A. wrestling, and Art Williams does not get nearly enough recognition. In addition, Art Williams is also like a walking encyclopedia. He, I mean, you, you can bring up anything. He'll remember it in great detail, and he'll remember it correctly, and he'll remember it two years later. And remember that you asked him about it two years before. That guy is amazing. Yeah. And, and Brian, the, the other quick question to follow up on that, and, and, and I don't want to you know spoil the book, but I think everybody's going to read it anyway. But when you were talking about that LaBelle and the Sheik uh, fell apart, was that around the time in, in the, the early, uh, early to mid-70s when uh, he came out uh, with Mighty Igor to go up against uh, Pampero Furpo? It was, it was a little bit after that, actually, because um, okay. they were – it, it happened really going into the late 70s, and it wasn't just LaBelle. I mean, the, the Sheik's reputation, there were a lot of things which, you know, are they're delicate matters, but I get into them in the book. Issues with addiction, issues with, you know, Joyce Farhat, Sheik's wife, was very well liked in the business. And so when there were rumors of them splitting up and the Sheik had – kind of a little girlfriend on the side and things like that were, were not taken well by some of the other promoters. And um, then he started running out of money and started borrowing money from the other promoters. And that made it even worse. And and so because him and Mike were so close, I kind of got the feeling that Sheik was maybe taking advantage a little bit of the friendship, or at least from LaBelle's point of view, he was, because it got to the point where literally Jeff told me that Mike LaBelle would say to him, if Sheik calls, you know, if he's if he says he's coming out to the West Coast, just tell him I'm not going to be around. And eventually Sheik caught on like there were a couple of times where he flew out there just on the hopes, especially after his own company had gone down the tubes just on the hopes that he could get booked because because he, wow. he, he needed money and LaBelle would be sort of like, you know, dodging him and he knew it. And he started to, you know, the friendship kind of went out the window at that point. And Jeff said to me at one point, I said to the Sheik, I said, you know, Mike said he's he's out of town on business. And Sheik just goes, you could tell Mike, I said, thanks for nothing. And just left. Wow. 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 That, that the last thing, time I remember I, him. Being advertised for Los Angeles for the LaBelle promotion was he, uh, he wrestled the monster, at least in San Bernardino. And I always I, – I, I know one person who attended it, 
And he said it was really awesome because he actually squirted lighter fluid at the monster and they actually, <laughs> like, lit him on fire. <laughs> well, he always seemed to draw well out there. I mean, at least until yeah. he wasn't drawing well anywhere eventually. But, I mean, he seemed to do well out there. It's kind of a, outside of Detroit and Toronto, let's say. It's probably his hottest market where he ever worked, where he kind of did the best um, – where he was the hottest attraction was probably – Los Angeles. I will say being a little kid, uh, the the two names of people who only came in every now and then that uh, all my uh, friends at grade school would talk about were Andre the Giant and the Sheik, you know, especially the Sheik because, uh, you know, they I thought they presented him well on TV because there was a real air of mystery about him since they didn't show him wrestle often, you know, you know, they, you know th- there was a lot of hype for him and uh, I, I don't know I thought they played it off well you know LaBelle did some stuff very well and very some stuff really poorly but at least with the Sheik I thought they played it off well because I was really curious about him and like I said until I saw the Lou Anthony match where you know he missed the fireball <laughs> <laughs> well like we were saying before how they rarely even used him on TV out there it was sort of like, and Jeff confirmed this too, where, and Andre was this way too, where you didn't really need to have any kind of huge buildup. They might have him come in and have a squash match or something on TV, but all you had to do was say the Sheik is coming, and, and that was enough. Like, they didn't yeah. need to be a program. They didn't need to be an angle. It's just the Sheik is going to be here, and, and that would do it. He could just You could just bring him in cold, like, like when they and had the Coliseum. He would throw fire, and uh, they, they, they said that they were going to bring him in, was it 74, I think, that he was going to appear on Channel 13 next week, and then Gene LaBelle towards the end says, we just got word from the fire department the Sheik <laughs> is not allowed in this TV studio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was probably in Japan wow. or something, you know. <laughs> But that's some yeah. of the stuff I miss about you L.A. Just, wrestling. You were just mentioning Andre. When I see results, I'm particularly keyed in uh, about results from towns in, in upstate New York. I always say Andre was like the Ramones. There was no, there was no building, no towns too small that the, that the giant didn't eventually go there. I mean, I just saw results for that. Jack Ritchie's in uh, Massachusetts that people talk about. I said, you were lucky if you got like one legitimate headliner on, on a show at Jack Ritchie's with four matches with mostly the sort of enhancement talent that you would see on TV, you know, all these old timers. And yet they're, you know, as small as that place was, Andre was there. You know, there's towns around here that I can't even believe they have a building, you know, like the, 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 there's a town, near Albany called Gloversville. Uh, there's a <laughs> place up here near Clint- Clinton that doesn't even have wrestling shows, but the one time they had it, in my memory, Andre was on the show. It just had the uh, same thing with the Sheik. I see results for the Sheik where he's not, you know, he's on a, uh, working for the Pafos, you know, somewhere in Tennessee or Kentucky. Yes. He's not even a headliner, you know? And that you know, would be wow. bragging rights if you had been to one of those shows. That would be bragging rights. Well, there were a few that I that I kind of uncovered that I wasn't that aware of from from that era when I was looking at what he was sort of doing as he was winding down, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And I found some results where he was 
working for Nick Goulas and like wrestling the like the Freebirds when they were rookies, you know, Michael wow. Hayes and wow. Terry Gordy when they were when they were teenagers. And I'm just I'm trying to imagine this in my head and I can't <laughs> even process it. I forget who his partner was. It might have been like Bulldog Don Kent or somebody like that, somebody that he was familiar with. And they were going against – they weren't even calling themselves the Freebirds yet. Uh, they, they were just Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy. Uh, um, it, it's crazy results like that uh, and, the, and the relationship. Yeah, and what were, the, what were the main events on those shows? Randy Savage and Bobby Eaton? I mean, think the rest of those shows, right, Dutch, right. Man, Dutch Mantel yeah. was on those shows. Nick Goulas, after he lost the NWA, even though he went by the rules and Jerry Jarrett didn't technically – Nick lost the NWA. The only other promoter that stood by him was the Sheik. I mean, the Sheik needed him, but he needed the Sheik. Right, because the, also the Sheik kind of knew what it was like to be under attack because there had been several invasions of his territory. The most famous one was the Bruiser one, but there were other ones too where there were these startups that would randomly try to muscle him out. And the, for the Sheik, it was a point of honor because he bought um, – he bought the rights to the territory. What I don't know how that would stand up in a court of law, but but he bought it from Jim Barnett and Johnny Doyle and felt like he, you know, had a right to it. Whereas a lot of these other people had just muscled people out, including Bruiser in Indianapolis, where they muscled Barnett and Doyle out of there. So the Sheik kind of had this point of pride of like, I bought this and I'm not going to just give it up. But he would always have I, I kept finding and I guess, you know, one of the downsides is. He he made a lot of enemies, you know, and and, they, and he mm -hmm. didn't seem to always inspire a lot of loyalty. It might have been because he didn't pay very well. So you would very frequently see these guys that were like his headline stars. This happened like three or four times and they would just all get together and start up an outlaw promotion, you know, and, and try to take over just randomly. And then they would fail and then they would go back to work for him. I mean, this this happened like a bunch of times. Killer Brooks did it. Uh, Mark Lewin did it. it. You know, so he was always fighting off these invasions. I, I cannot tell you how mm. much my appetite is whetted for this book. I'm like just <laughs> I'm so ready for this. I know one. you said he wasn't going to spoil anything. Not only did he not spoil anything, although he's talking about what happened, he's selling the book. All he's making <laughs> me do is want to read the goddamn book. Well, oh, there's, even the, more, the, the even thing more. is, there's there's so much in the book, and I, I'm not saying that. I mean, I. I'm only saying this because, you know, I am mentioning things in the book, but there's so much that's in there that I, I'm, you know, I don't mind telling a few stories that are in there just because there's so many things that I can't even think of that are in there. I mean, I, I tried to just pack it with as much stuff as I possibly could. And there were still stories that had to get left out because there just wasn't wow. room. Like, <laughs> like the Andre the Giant thing made me think of how they also had this unusual relationship because they were both – these sort of unbeatable traveling, you know, main eventers. And when they would mm. cross paths, it would always be like, well, what are we going to do now? Like who's, who's supposed to win? And, and they're never like, they met a bunch of times and uh, all over different territories and there never was a clear winner. And actually that was one of the things that hurt Sheik in, in Toronto because he had that famous undefeated streak. I mean, it's easy to do when you're booking your own matches, but he had a 100 and, what was it? 127 singles matches without a loss at the Maple Leaf Gardens. And the story was that, you know, he was he was going over everybody. Lou says, um, you know, anyone they sent in there, you know, 
major stars. He was just beating left and right. And then after a few years of doing this, he finally did that with Andre the Giant. And I think that matches there's video of that match where he wow. he he doesn't pin him. He doesn't pin him, but he blasts him with the fire and Andre gets counted out and he wins by count out. And supposedly that was the point where basically the Toronto fans were just like, all right, enough of this. What, what is this guy? How's this guy beating everybody? Like Andre the Giant never loses to anybody. How is this happening? And Toronto kind of turned on the Sheik as a result of, and I don't just mean in a heelish way, like turned on him like we don't want to see this guy here anymore after he pulled that with Andre the Giant. Like you can't even lay down for Andre the Giant. Come on, you know. They just lost yeah. patience with him. No, the, yeah. My my two favorite memories of the Sheik are one one the way L.A. would hype him because I just was so ready to see him, uh, and then of course, you know, uh, he and Abdullah versus the Funks in Japan. Man, that was like that was like you know George Romero live. That was beautiful. <laughs> What's great about the Japan stuff, though, is they preserved – I don't know who's responsible for it, but they preserved their footage of big matches so much better than – The television a lot of network. Them. That's yeah. why because it was owned by the it's network. gorgeous. I mean you can go on YouTube or wherever and see those all those matches from that era, and there's so many other – matches that we hear about that are lost. You can't, there's no way to watch them. You know, you just hear about them. But I mean, like you mentioned the Funks and Abdullah and Sheik. I mean that they had a few, but especially the first one, it's like unbelievable. The crowd, everything about it, it's just huge. It's epic. And just the, the, the drama of, of all these guys. And when you think that <laughs> Abdullah was the workhorse of, of, of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But they still made it work, and the Funks were like gods over there, and you just believed everything they did. Like I was able to watch – that's the one thing with this book, with the, a guy that's you know from so far back and so much footage is lost. There's so many matches that I couldn't watch to prepare to write the book, but those um, um, All Japan matches I was able to watch and, and just really almost give them like a play-by-play in the book because I was able to see it. Well, that uh, the historian from Spain, uh, that guy Jose Fernandez, he, you know, before YouTube and all that, he was a guy who was just, you know, just looking everywhere for tapes in multiple countries. And he was telling me the countries that really held on to their footage of not just wrestling, but TV shows, period were uh, Japan, Mexico, and he says the one who, the country that, you know, did it from day one was France. They were the one who took it the most seriously, like realizing there's a legacy here. Yeah, well, it's hard to, you know, it's easy to see how they would feel like there wasn't much value in it because, I mean, there wasn't even really a home video market yet. Mm -hmm. They probably just thought, well, who's ever going to want to see this again? I mean, there's the famous story about Johnny Carson when he, when he bought up, uh, you know, he, he inquired about all of his old shows because I guess he he had bought the rights to them or something like that. And they said, well, we don't have anything before 1970. And he couldn't believe it because they were just recording over them week after week after week. And so that's why there's no Tonight Shows from that era. That's why there's no Tonight Shows from New York. Right, right, exactly. And that goes for a lot of TV. But I mean, wrestling was yeah. notorious for that. 
Yeah, I don't know if this is myth or not, but I I heard that the I Love Lucy's were uh, going to be tossed into the junk pile. I don't know if that's true or not. There's so much classic TV from that era that's gone because a lot of times it wasn't even taped to begin with. It was just broadcast into space and, and that yeah. was it. <laughs> You know, so the ones yep. that were, that's why we, we always talk about the ones that somebody had the forethought to actually record, like I Love Lucy or the Honeymooners and things like that. But I mean, there's so many others that, you know, you just hear about, but there's no way to actually watch them. I'll tell you what, guys, let me add someone here. I actually got to check if someone else is uh, waiting to be added. I see him sitting here. Hold on. Let me add this person. And I pressed the wrong button. You know what? You guys continue. I'll be right back. God damn it. <laughs> oh, this is sweet. Wow. This is sweet. <laughs> so, Kurt, how are you doing? I am doing uh, I'm doing well. How, how about yourself? I, I say that only because of the fact that, uh, you know, Kurt and I live about an hour away from each other. But because of pandemic and, and all the other stuff that's been going on, uh, we are coming up on almost two years since we've seen each other in person. <laughs> it's, it's that's right. I know. It's been I way too long. I don't, I don't think it's ever – I don't think in 30 years of friendship we've ever gone that long without seeing each other. Never. Oh, man. But, yeah, between all our issues, my <laughs> – the hassles I've been having with my back and all that and uh, other stuff, yeah. it's just like we've been having to put off uh, – you know, getting together even when we are planning it, but no things are yeah. uh, uh, things are going well here. Oh, I got a pretty cool little wrestling uh, stocking stuffer from my uh, brother-in-law. Yeah, it's uh, called uh, <clears throat> Aqueos Luchadores, Aqueos Tiempos, meaning those those wrestlers, those times, and it's a uh, I keep forgetting his name, Teddy something. I had heard of him mentioned before, but he is uh, a wrestler, I think, in the 70s and later became a referee. And he wrote a book that covers a lot of urban myths in Lucha Libre and covers a lot of wrestlers who are forgotten. uh, Gosh, I'm trying to think off the top of my hand. There's a guy named Merced Gomez, and there was a big urban myth that he quit wrestling because he was his eye was gouged out by uh Lago Velasquez. Uh, and he goes into great detail about how many different versions of the myth there was. And if I, you know, my Spanish is still sucks as badly as it did uh, when I was in my 20s. So it's going to take me a while to figure out what's going on there. Maybe I'll just have to take it to Fredo and have him read it to me as a bedtime story. But uh, but no, he covers a lot of journeymen that uh, some who I've heard of, like Popeye Soto. Uh, and he brings up a number of like the forgotten Americans who appeared there in Mexico in the early days of uh, the Impresa. When I say forgotten, I mean forgotten even here in the States. What's the name so, of this book, Kurt? A Chaos Tiempos. Uh, no, A Chaos You Luchadores, A Chaos Tiempos. It means those wrestlers, those time. It has a forward by Ernesto Acampo, who uh, uh, does the super luchas. Well, I'm going to look at that. I just finished reading the uh, 
I just finished reading the Burt Prentice book that Scott Thiel put together, Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. Oh, how is that? It's good. It, it's really just a long interview with Bert. I, he passed away, I think, before it could, uh, mm-hmm. before it was 100% complete, or they could fashion it into a, into a book form. So now, it, now it's just a, it's just a long interview between, uh, between Scott Teal and and Bert. Yeah, I think there's a few little things, you know. Uh, whatever you might've heard of Burt Prentice over the years, a few things that don't get brought up, but uh, it, it's similar to the story that Howard Baum taught, uh, told on the last 605, where mm-hmm. you get uh, a better view of, of uh, the, the, the fan and the promoter and the hard worker that, uh, that Burt Prentice was. And certainly it took, learned a lot of stuff about him that, uh, that I didn't know, even though I suspect there's some other things that, that cross my mind that don't come up in the book. But, uh, <laughs> at some point, at some point they're just, they're just, they get toward the end of the, the thing. It's, it's, you know, a great deal of, uh, what their final interviews were. And, you know, I mean, it's so recent, you know, these interviews and stuff go through like July of this year, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, so you're, as you're reading it, you know that, that, you know, here he is sort of tirelessly working to work to promote wrestling. I mean, he, he literally was the, the last of an era, you know, mm-hmm. uh, promoter yeah. who, who literally was trying to, literally, <laughs> was trying to work, you know, trying to promote these small towns in a very, very, old-fashioned, obsolete way. And you say obsolete, except he was the only one that would have any success at it at all. You know, he tells an interesting thing. It almost came up earlier in our conversation where you're talking about money marks. And uh, mm-hmm. and he just says, you know, there were endless stories, you know, over the years where somebody would come to him with $10,000 and say, I want to I want to be in the wrestling business. I want to put on shows. I want to, I want to open wrestling in this town or that town. It is almost impossible to turn down money like that because, but he finally had to turn it down because he said, you know, somebody would come to you with $10,000. You'd spend it all. <laughs> yeah. You know, then it's gone. And then the guy is out $10,000. He learned a lesson about the wrestling business. And then he goes around telling everybody, what a prick this Burt Prentice is. You know, he, he robbed me at $10,000. Yeah. Well, in fact, I remember the first I ever heard of him was, uh, I think, in like 80, 81. And then he was at a couple of the LaBelle shows just hanging around. And a couple yeah, of wrestlers. Met, he, yeah, a couple okay. of wrestlers brought him up. And I said, "Oh, he's somebody in the business." And but they did say, "Yeah, but you want to stay away from him uh, because he'll fleece you." Yeah, he he had well, he had a different he had a different view viewpoint on that. But uh, like you were saying, he was everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And it was sort of interesting hearing about you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's not too many people that he badmouths in the book. Really, literally not. You know. I'm sure more people would have had stuff to say about him, 
but um, but it's, it's it's an interesting book, and it is I, I won't reveal here <laughs> like one or two people that he badmouthed. Actually, he didn't even badmouth him. He says I. I don't have anything to say about that person. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll but, tell you what, um, guys, uh, before it, we get it, too much further, I do want to add another person because uh, I don't know how much longer we're going to go. But, Scott, finish what you were just saying. I'm sorry. No, no, it's just interesting. that Toward the end of the book, because it's sort of an unedited, unedited conversation, you know, rather than a book, you know, they get to the point where they're, where they're uh, you know, where they're pulling apart, you know, individual house shows in Tennessee towns that you've never even heard of, you know, <laughs> and it's just amazing because Bert will say, oh yeah, you know, well, I had trouble there because Tony Falk or some other person was trying to run that town too. It's just like Tennessee, it, it probably is still ongoing where, you know, these <laughs> tiny little pockets of, of towns. And, well, even up here, I, growing up, you know, and up until maybe the last 10 years, there was never an, anything like an independent show in my area here in upstate New York, the Utica, Rome area, this bustling metropolis. <laughs> and now there's like three little, three little promotions running around, you know, and I go, God, that's, that's nuts. <laughs> oh, well, I, I remember the first, many I do what they're doing. The first independent show I ever uh, attended in my life was in, Again, in 1981, that seems to be when I started uh, having all these turn of events. Uh, but uh, in San Pedro, when Carl Lauer was promoting the show, originally he was promoting with Mike LaBelle. Uh, and I think that fell apart within a month or so. And then he started uh, promoting with a lot of the old L.A. guys like Jack Armstrong, uh, John Burrich, and uh, – uh, my old pal Buddha Khan. <laughs> and, uh, that was the first time I ever saw Buddha. And wow. the night, night I was there, all night long, they were saying, next week, you, you want to buy your tickets now, go, you know, go to the lobby and buy your tickets because John Tolis is going to be wrestling John Burrich for the title. You know, you must see this. And, you know, that he's going to be retiring soon. He's going to be burning his boots. And then he went in this <laughs> long description, what burning your boots meant. And I think all 75 people in the audience were just on the edge of their seats. And so John Birch, I can't remember who he's wrestling in the main event, but Buddha runs interference. And so at the end of the night, as people are starting to leave, Birch grabs the uh, microphone and says, No, no, get John Tolis off the show. I want Buddha next week. <laughs> and I'm I'm sure the two or three people who ran to get their tickets into the lobby were probably uh you know a little maybe kind of sort of upset. But <laughs> my favorite Budokan thing was not too long ago someone actually it was Dan Dan yeah watched the movie Body it, yeah. Slam, which is one of my favorite movies ever from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And what I never knew until Dan had like a freeze frame of the shot <laughs> was. The first guy that runs in and gets clobbered by Bruno, I think, is Budokan. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you barely see him. You just see, like, a body <laughs> run into the frame and get punched and go down. Actually, it was, it was Freddie Blassie. Freddie Blassie. Was Freddie Blassie. Yeah. What was Buddha the movie? What was that movie that? It was, it was one of the most god-awful wrestling movies 
ever made. It had oh, it had Gene LaBelle and Ruth Buzzy in it. But the payoff is Gene at the beginning LaBelle you actually Ruth get Buzzy. to see. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, it had a lot of guys in it. it. Had Goliath, Victor Rivera, Pistol Pete. You know, people in that the group. SoCal area would recognize a lot of the guys. But at the beginning, you get to see a brief clip of at his age. Red Shoes Dugan in action. Wow. That and he actually looked in good shape. He actually looked in better shape than probably a lot of the L.A. wrestlers did a few years earlier. What movie is that? Now I'm really intrigued. God, is that oh. Grunt, Grunt, the wrestling yeah, movie? Um, this was better than Grunt. Oh, yeah, uh, I don't. I don't <laughs> by the way, Grunt God, is a classic. Called? I think I would remember if Ruth guys? Buzzy was in Grunt. I think it was called you know what? or something it, it like that. It may be bad guys. I think it yeah, might be bad guys. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Oh, bad guys, yeah. In fact, the only the only parts worth seeing are uh, seeing Red Shoes Dugan. I, I think it's a brief clip of him wrestling, and then he cusses somebody out on the way to the dressing room. And then uh, the only other part worth watching is Gene LaBelle and Ruth Buzzy are actually kind of funny in yeah. it. So. It is, it is bad guys, yeah. That was the one where I think was it the blonde guys and didn't they wasn't it was it Kurt Hennig and Hector Guerrero uh, they used as substitutes uh, to fill in as, uh, as and handle the wrestling stuff in the ring for the two leagues. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I think that's what it was. I mean, Sergeant Slaughter's in that too, and uh, uh, yeah, it's really it's it's really really low rent. It's about a a couple of cops that uh, wind up uh, getting suspended and becoming professional wrestlers, and it's. It's everything you don't want in a wrestling movie. It really is horrible. <laughs> well, spe- speaking of low rent, I have something here that I'll read a portion of in a moment. One of you guys is echoing back at me. I don't know which one it is, but if any of you have the option to mute that yourself, that might when be you're not me. Talking. Okay. Well, Kurt, I thought I heard. I thought I heard me talking back to myself. I, I don't know how often that happens or doesn't happen, so I couldn't say anything. But uh, I talk back to myself often, but I don't listen. Let me add uh, what may be our last person on this call, and I know he's on standby because he's actually doing some work right now. So let me uh, see if he's here. Let me see if I actually did this correctly this time. Mike Leno? Uh, we, I wish. He's scared. He's too <laughs> frightened. He's one of those people frightened to come on the show. <laughs> All right. We are calling this person now. I'm sure there he is. Hello. Welcome Hello, to people. Welcome to Star Wars. Wow, what a voice. I'm just going to shut up. ladies and gentlemen welcome to the 605 super podcast holiday star wars lou kippelman all right happy new year happy new year Uh, happy new year know that he will welcome me there i do not want i do not want to be denied denied. (laughs) yes well lou on the line with you right now we have a noted humorist, not a historian, Scott Cornish. We also have Brian Solomon, the author of the upcoming Chic Biography, and of course, a new show debuting on the Arcadia Vanguard Podcast Network 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 called Shut Up and Wrestle. Also, noted Hollywood raconteur and the late Dan Farron and the wild and woolly Vandal Drummond himself, Kurt Brown. Hey, hey, hey. Hello, all uh, gentlemen. I know uh, a couple of you. I had the uh, the pleasure of meeting at CAC. That's right. It was great meeting you. It was great meeting you. Yeah. Yes. Likewise. Well, speaking of uh, books, Lou, we were just talking about some books, including Brian's upcoming book. 
I have yeah. uh, right here in my hand a copy of How to Defend Yourself in a Cowardly Manner by Leaping Lanny oh. Poffo, written and illustrated <laughs> by Leaping Lanny Poffo, the noted illustrator. Uh, this yes. is from Chapter 10, More Cheap Shots. Mm. When can you fight a man? Anytime he is busy or has his hands full. Your hands <laughs> must be free. His hands must be occupied. The time to attack is when a man is pulling off his pullover sweater. You'd be amazed how often people do just that. I know that I told you earlier never to fight in the bathroom, but this one is too hard to resist. There will be very little he could defend himself with from his vulnerable position. Consider all the possibilities. The key word is vulnerable. When a man is most... Excuse me, let me redo that. When is a man most vulnerable? <laughs> so, guys, I'm going to ask you a question. When is a man most vulnerable? When a man is carrying groceries. That's Lanny's answer. When a man is carrying groceries, his hands are occupied. <clears throat> but think about it. Why wait for a man to carry anything? I told you before that your greatest weapon is surprise. So why don't you so why do you walk over and blow yourself? That's surprise, I'm Lanny Poffo. Exactly. No. Well so what uh, I, I thought you were gonna I, I thought you were the bouncer who used to let me into uh the Lane County Fairgrounds at Eugene, Oregon, because he he had been bouncing there since he was in high school, uh, through college, and he kept on talking about the he said, Oh, there's this dude, this guy called Lanny Holiday, which is the name Poffo used. And he said it was like freezing cold, uh, and they were, you know, trying to get into the little arena there. And he said, Lanny and some other wrestler who he didn't remember what the wrestler's name was, but he said they opened the door for him and the other bouncer and and said, like, what do you want? And he says, you know who we are. We want to get in. And he says, well, that depends. Can you keep us warm? And I guess Elton Owen's wife overheard that and just uh, let out her banshee scream, which I've heard her let out at fans who try to enter dressing rooms and stuff like that. So I have no idea if that's true or not, but <laughs> that was his claim. <laughs> well, let's uh, go back to the uh, text here. So why don't you now, walk- come on now? Now, come on now. Come on, Brian. You you, you asked me why I never brought that up, one up before. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you walk up to a man with a bag of heavy groceries and say, will you please hold this for a second before he can answer no to the ridiculous request? You put the heavy bag in his arms, pull him down to the floor by the hair and bite his face off. <laughs> a few words about biting are in order. Biting is beautiful, but very dangerous for both of you. Dangerous for him because you could bite his jugular vein in his throat and kill him. And if you don't give a damn, I couldn't sleep knowing my book led to another man's death. That's a weird sentence. So would you rather bite his face off? It won't kill him, but he may carry your teeth marks around with him for the rest of his life. And this would make me sleep great. But read this one twice. Never bite unless you're sure you have control. In other words, an unsuccessful biting will just give your man the same idea, which is to bite your face off. I'll stop there for a moment. 
the print. Now, I must say, I must apologize to you because I thought you were done with the whole poem. I I didn't know there was more. My God. No, this I'm also trying to. I'm trying to imagine that I have somebody that I have a real beef with, an issue with that I that I want to fight, <laughs> and I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for this guy to go to the supermarket to go shopping, <laughs> so I can right. do this thing. Yeah, exactly. Like Bum rush him at the A and P, fighting time. I also think if you're talking about vulnerable positions, I mean, if you if a man did happen to be blowing himself, I mean, that would be an yeah, opportunity yeah. to attack him. That's probably a great way to get out of the fight, that's, though. That's where he, like, that's where he first learned uh, the most important lesson about biting while he was doing that. Thing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, can you imagine? Lanny yep. starts a fight, and the guy's like, "I'm going to kick your ass." And Lanny says, "Okay, get ready." The guy turns around to take off his sweater, turns back around. Lanny's blowing himself. How do you fight him? Sheepishly, sheepishly put his sweater back on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, never mind me. I'm just warming up. <laughs> God. And then talking about, well, the other guy might, you know, bite uh, bite better than you. That It's like the <laughs> Freddie Blassie Kobayashi Maru there. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, how long is this? How long is this book? Because that. Uh, I was always hoping you'd send a copy to me so I could do a dramatic is, reading. Is it, is it shorter or longer than Hang In There? It's much longer. Uh. It's Now, again, it's pamphlet-sized. It's not a giant <laughs> book. However, it is 60 pages of Lanny's wow. practical advice and illustrations for oh, here's a, sex and violence. Did I read this part ever before? A greater man than myself once said, there is no girl in the world worth fighting over, including my wife. How true. Remember the man who came over, <laughs> remember the man who came home early from work one day to find his wife in bed with another man? What are you doing with my wife? He demanded. See, I told you he wouldn't know what we were doing, she retorted. So he's telling jokes. He's doing his, he's doing his jokes, his punchlines in the middle of this thing. Uh, let me go fast. Uh... Here's a chapter 11, unnatural advantages and disadvantages. If you want a friend in this world, buy a dog. By the same token, beware of the fur, beware of the fury of a patient dog. Stay away from strange dogs or owners of strange dogs or even strangers with strange dogs or even strangers with strange friends. <laughs> Hold on, that, let me read that. That sounds like again. that sounds like when I had to write an essay in high school and <laughs> add it out. And, uh, yeah, and you had just seen your first Jeff Stryker video, and <laughs> oh, <God>. stay <laughs> away from strange dogs or owners of strange dogs, <laughs> or even strangers with strange dogs, or even strangers uh, with strange friends. Most oh of this God. book has been dedicated to one-on-one -on -one strategies. There will be times when you will be dealing with numbers. Take a gang war. Let's say that. When he, <laughs> what, what were we going to say? When when Rand, when uh, Lanny was writing that pamphlet, uh, Randy Savage helped him out. He said, "Put in a lot of stuff about fighting dogs." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stay away from the dog's name, Bo. Ooh. I like. I like the practical example here. Is the dog's name was in fact Bo. 
I like the. Uh... Oh my God! What I would give to hear Randy Savage read Jimmy Stewart's poem, "A Dog Named Bo." <laughs> <laughs> I like, that would be bitching. Uh, by the way, I like Lanny's practical example here for anyone who gets his pamphlet. A gang war. Not a fight. A gang <laughs> a war. A gang war? What year is it? <laughs> let's say, let's yeah. say there are 10 guys on your team and 10 guys on the other team. You, da, 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 da. <laughs> you nah, are fighting. <laughs> a jet or a shark <laughs> oh my or god piranha. you guys gotta see these illustrations in here this is so he's a bad. disciple of anarchy okay well, uh, lucky pierre is taking off his mask and just he is defeated what can he say <laughs> i have a cowardly quiz here uh mm. tfs true false or what would s be what the hell would s be Suck, uh, suck, suck yourself. All right. Here's the uh, cowardly quiz. Let's see how many of you cowards can get the cowardly quiz right. Quiz question one. Don't grab on unless you can hold on. Oh, here we go. True, false, or sometimes. Once again. Is this is real? Once this, again, is, this is legit? This is, once again, from the uh, book, How to Defend Yourself in a Cowardly Manner, written and illustrated by Leaping Lanny Poffo. Kurt, don't grab on unless you can hold on. True, false, or sometimes. Well, if you're playing the role that I mentioned earlier of uh, Telly Evangelist and you're wrestling Jesus Christ, um, you grab on, uh, you hold on, and you never let go. So you're saying true? True. Definitely true. Does anyone disagree with Kurt? The answer is true. The answer is true. Question two. I got it right. Lanny would be so proud of me. Question two. Now, look, I understand you may have a tough time answering this, all of you, because you haven't read the book. But question two, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. True, false, or sometimes? Again, what year is this? What fucking year is this? <laughs> Hold on. Let me see if there's actually Yes, the answer is sometimes. Depends if they're self-filating. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is no year attached to this book, unfortunately. But um... Now, I just want to jump in one more time about the bouncer. Uh, I'm not going to ever say what his name is, but... Uh, uh, this last year I got back in contact with him. I want to buy a, a copy of this and send that to him. <laughs> By the way, ladies and gentlemen, the answer is false. The bigger they are, in fact, the harder they fall is not true. But question three, oh. bullies are seldom tested. True, false, or sometimes. Scott, I'm going to give you the first pick on this question. Hmm. Bullies are seldom. I, 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 that's phrased in a way that makes me say he, he's going to say it's true. Does anyone disagree with Scott? Bullies Probably are sometimes. Bullies are seldom tested. The correct answer: sometimes. Oh, I, I got two out of two. By the way, what a stupid question! And then the answer is even stupider. Explain? Yeah, I yeah. answered two out of two. That makes no sense. None. I yeah. answered two out of two really stupid questions. I am so proud. Not since back, I got that point ninety nine grade point average. In yeah, the answer is this because just because. Next. 
That's yeah, that's sell, not, not a winning formula. <laughs> Go back to the question about um, about the, the the previous question, where you said the the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Now his answer is simply false, and nothing to back it up. Hello. I, I, Hello. I'm afraid that's I, the, the I was sad muted. truth. Yeah. I, I apologize. I was muted. I believe that is in fact true, although. I'm guessing that this quiz here at the end is derived from different points and different things that Lanny points out. Uh, chapter three, exploring some myths. Oh boy, I wonder where he, oh, okay. I wonder where he tackles in this chapter. Uh, a black man does not have a harder head than a white man. Oh, God. oh my God. Oh no. Chapter five. Chapter five, fighting your own surroundings. What were you going to say, Scott? No. Well, no, no, that. That, that previous question about the hard hat, I'm going to call in uh, Tony Khan as an expert with it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <laughs> let's not, let's stay away from that topic here. Tonight. Yeah. Uh, Although you I, may I will sick. say I, I, I had the, uh, had the one time, uh, I went with my sister and her boyfriend. They wanted to <laughs> see what wrestling was all about in 1979 and George Wells and, Alan Coage were Bad News Brown were wrestling each other. And guess what happened when they headbutted each other? They both sold it. And I had to explain to her why they sold each other's headbutt. And I just was cringing the whole time I explained it to her. Yeah. Then I had wrestling to physiology. They, yeah. Then I had to explain to her uh, why they misspelled the word souvenirs at the souvenir booth. <laughs> and that's true. <laughs> Well, I learned as a kid, as a kid, I learned that the worst thing you could ever do is headbutt a Samoan. That's right. Because oh, yeah. unless yeah, you're you the junkyard just, dog. Yeah, right. The junkyard <laughs> dog. Yeah, that was just and as a kid, I was very just naive. And, and, and I'm going, what is the deal with these Samoans? Like, why? Why are they impervious to headbutts? I just didn't I didn't understand the blatant racism that was being you know sold to me. At 12. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask if you understand this, Brian Solomon. Question four. Fighting is a good way to prove your love and defend a girl's honor. True, false, or sometimes? I am going to say that, well, he's probably going to say sometimes because it depends on the girl. Okay, so you're not just giving an answer. You're giving what you think Lanny's... Method I'm trying to, to get, get inside the – I'm getting inside the head of Lanny <laughs> Poffo. I don't even know what be puns that you're doing. You're getting inside what of Lanny Poffo? <laughs> yeah, be careful. Yeah. Be careful. Oh, getting inside the head? head of Lanny – oh, dear. Does he anyone – You wicked, man. Head, you wicked, wicked man. Does anyone disagree? You're getting inside his head. Avoid the mouth area. <laughs> Does anyone disagree with false that fighting is a good way to prove – oh, no, you said no, I sometimes. Said sometimes. You said sometimes. 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 Well, I just gave it away. The answer is false. That's not true. Yeah, oh, there you go. Well, question five. <laughs> Fighting wins respect and proves manhood. True, false, or sometimes. Now, it's really hard to figure out. You kind of think you got Lanny figured out, and then he goes in a whole different direction. But fighting wins respect and proves manhood. Dan Farron, true, false, or sometimes? Um... This is like trying to answer questions of the DMV. Uh, you got to figure out how it's written. Um, I would say that um, 
I've never had to prove my manhood because no one really cares. So I'm going to say it's true. <laughs> the answer is false. Fighting, in fact, does oh. not win respect and prove manhood. Question six, the best way to win a fight is to avoid one. Well, I'm just going to give that one away. That's true. Lanny actually gets that one away. <laughs> yes. Here's an interesting one. Kurt, question seven, cowards <laughs> are usually impotent. True, <laughs> false, or sometimes. Kurt, why did he oh, ask that's you that not, that's not. That's not true. I was wanking like crazy when I was a teen, and I... No, I was really brave, though. I, I mean, that, what am I saying? So, no, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I plead the fifth. The answer is false, actually. Cowards are not usually impotent. That's <laughs> like, such a weird... Why would you... Okay, I have to, I have to, okay, I have to ask a question right now. Do you Lanny, guys know? Lanny, do you guys know? Do you guys know? Is it true what Lanny claims about not drinking and drugging? Is any of that true at all? What does he claim about not drinking and drugging? Oh, he's claimed ever since day one about how he never touches this stuff. And I know that's almost always bullshit with wrestlers. But if that's true, man, don't ever fall victim to sobriety. Oh, my God. Look what it does. <laughs> right. well, he, he also has – I don't know if anyone's seen this. He published a book of anti-smoking poetry. This is a real thing. <laughs> wow. This is true. Because he actually tried to get it reviewed when I was at WWE Magazine. There was somebody that was pushing for, hey, did you hear Lanny Poffo wrote this book of anti-smoking poems? And maybe we should review it. And we didn't review it. But but I was just wondering if I if anyone else had ever heard of this. No, yeah, but I will be on the look. I'll be on the lookout. Well, this yeah, I thought I the wrestling world couldn't blow my mind anymore. Well, bad choice of words again, but, you know. <laughs> Final question. Question eight here in the Cowardly Quiz. A broken nose is a status symbol. True, false, or sometimes? I'll give it away. The answer is false. A broken nose is not a status symbol. <laughs> and then it says all in caps... Congratulations, you've graduated. So no matter what answers you give, you've graduated Lanny's course here. How to defend yourself in a cowardly manner. Well, I'm uh, glad I got a I'm glad I got a lot of good stash here tonight because I'm gonna light up just so I don't ever wind uh, up like Lanny Poffo if it's so like, uh, yeah, what he claims. I I, I my god. Uh, I want to know when this magnum opus enters the public domain. <laughs> it, it may already be there. It may, there's not a copyright. There's nothing. Hold on. Right. Join, yeah, joining Winnie the Pooh and uh, a lot of the other uh, <laughs> intellectual properties that are uh, wow. free today. Well, that's, that's not a very if rigorous you that, course. If you count that as a book, but that pamphlet, that's three. I mean... Solomon, how many books have you written? You know, easy to make fun. Right, but, uh, catching I, up. I have re I have wrestling that may rhyme. His book of poems. I don't have his smoking book of poems or uh, his, his, his pamphlet on uh, his smoking book of poems. His book of poems, uh, anti-smoking book of poems. Oh, yes. Wellington Wilp Wimpy, you just made that sound even more perverse than it already sounds. Ah. Ask yourself, why is this man mad at you? What did you do to disturb him? 
A little ass-kissing now can save some ass-kicking later. There's nothing wrong in being nice to people. Some men go through their entire lives never getting into even one fight and lead perfectly happy lives. But sooner or later... goes a long way. <laughs> but sooner or later, we all make enemies. Make a friend of your enemy. Put your arm around him. Then push him off a cliff. <laughs> That's literally what it says here. Then push him off a cliff. Remember, yeah. you can only double cross a friend. Your enemy is That's looking it. out for you. Make a list of people who hate you. Start to work on befriending them. You may never need to push them off of a cliff, but you never know. My advice is to avoid a fight, but if you must, win. So there's an example of more of the wisdom of Lenny Poffo. That's what broke up his friendship with Doug Kenny. Oh no. That's I take that back. Score, score. The score one for hot dog. Well, of course, Scott's referring wow. to the uh, National Lampoon Genius. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I, 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 whilst in Hawaii. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, yeah. would anyone like to pick this show up from the cliff it fell off and take it somewhere right now? <laughs> oh, can I talk, can I, can I t- talk about a book that uh, is in the works at the moment? <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. It's a little more wholesome. Uh, Rock Rims was kind enough to um, ask me to co-author a book on the history of uh, Latino wrestlers in the state of California, or in Southern California. So that I am finally uh, working on a book along with Rock Rims, and I want to thank him for uh, including me. I'm still, but I, as I say this, I'm still trying to get the uh, the Lanny Poffoisms out of my mouth. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. Let me just say, because Rock Rims does great. Yeah. Everything he's done has been fantastic. And knowing that it's he's amazing. teaming with you and you take all this seriously. Kurt, if there's anything I could do, anything from my archives you guys need, just let me know. No, thank you so much. I do appreciate that a lot. I do appreciate that. You know, so far, I mean, so far we're just in, you know, the research and interviewing stages. Uh, Got together with one of the local boys, Tritone, who's one of the local boys who's been around since the late 70s. And uh, one of the guys I've been in the dressing room with and made small talk with for over 25 years at least. And it's the first time we ever sat down and just talked and just you know, it was one of those interviews you do where at the end, neither of us wanted to like uh, leave. Neither of us wanted to say goodbye. It's like... Uh, you know, got a lot of got a lot of guys just on the local scene uh, to talk with, and you know, of course, this is my first time attempting to write something that's you know going to be published at this level. And you know, if it's something I'm half competent in, I'd like to follow it up with a book on uh, the local Latinos, the uh, the Hadco Plaza guys. As since there's a lot of third generation wrestlers on that scene now, you know, going back to the early seventies. So, so that's what I'm looking forward to in 22. Wow. How many, how many Leno photos are you going to have in there? (laughs) 
Only the ones that I took and that he uh, watermarked. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> very, very good answer. Uh, there's probably some other topics we should talk about. I'm trying to think of something. I am so beat. I've probably, I don't know if I've ever put out the amount of hours of shows I have in a short period of time as I have this week. Uh, any other topics anyone else wants to touch on? Or not. Or no topics whatsoever. <laughs> I think Brian, once we hit corn and wrestling, we did everything almost. Yeah. What were you going to say, Scott? Brian, Brian, what was the last actual live wrestling show you attended? The last? I, I don't remember exactly what it was uh, in terms of like what the main event was or anything, but it would have been a Ring of Honor show in New York City. Okay. Probably. Yeah, I went to one of those. Probably 2000, uh, 2010, 2011. I really don't know. Wow. Obviously, Jim was there because Jim was the only reason I was there. He, he asked me to be there, and I was helping yeah. him out uh, behind the scenes with some stuff. But uh, that would have been the last wrestling show I attended. And by the way, I, by the way, I don't have any urge to go to another wrestling show. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's weird yeah. in some sense because I used to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But I don't watch it on TV and go, oh, I just wish I could be there. I'd say, oh, you know, even if it's something I really enjoy, I'm very happy to just Do you have that? be home. What were we going to say? Or whoever said that. But it, is, is there a show? I mean, are, is there any, are there any small promotions running near you? Would it be easy for you to go see a show if you wanted to? I don't. I'm sure there are probably independent shows running. Well, to be honest, with COVID, I'm not exactly sure. But I would think, Oh yeah, yeah. based on history, there are probably small indie shows here in North Jersey that I'm not aware of. Uh, there definitely were some shows closer to the city. Uh, I think maybe Jersey City, maybe Bayonne. Not, probably not Bayonne, but Jersey City and a few places over there. I think they were doing some but stuff. But no interest. No interest whatsoever. What am I going to do? I'm going to sit there and enjoy the show. There's a lot of local shows I'd love to go to, you know, yeah. but I, just, like favorite, I said, it's not yeah. the time, not the time or place. If I was honestly, if I was going to, oh, yeah. if I was going to attend anything right now, I'd much rather attend live music uh, and baseball sure. than wrestling. To me, mm-hmm. going to a wrestling show doesn't appeal to me at all in any, in any way at all anymore. Uh, However, there are things I really want to see. I'm just, I'm content watching them from the comfort of home in my shorts, not sitting next to anyone, having my own food. I could press pause. I got a beautiful bathroom. I mean, I I prefer this. (laughs) I've started going to live shows again a lot more lately because of my, my son mainly. I mean, because he, he's gotten into it. I have a, a young son who's now just well because he's around me all the time and he sees it on TV. But but and he wanted to go. So for that, I, I I've been more active probably with live shows. And I'm talking about AEW and WWE than in years yeah. and years. Then maybe since since the time that I used to work there. I mean, I was at Survivor Series. I was at Arthur Ashe. I was at the Madison Square Garden SmackDown. I'm going to the AEW show that's coming to Bridgeport next month. The first one they're doing in Connecticut. And, you know, because I get a kick out of my kids getting a kick out of it. So vicarious kind of thing, you know, that's cool. That is awesome. You know, the other other (laughs) thing for me, too, is like even when I used to enjoy when I used to enjoy wrestling, going as a fan was one thing. And then when I enjoyed going to wrestling, really having nothing to do with me being a fan at a certain point, it was just me hanging out with people I was friends with, hanging out in the back, being around, helping out, you know. 
I don't feel the same way when I see it now. Like when I went as a fan, even right. when I started being a smart fan, the audiences were different. Um, whatever it is, it just it seemed like a whole different thing to me. I just it doesn't. And maybe this well, is a bigger can, thing well, out there know, for the, other people too. And maybe I don't even know how you quantify this or look into it. But I am one of those wrestling fans that I still like good wrestling. Obviously, I do a lot with wrestling, so wrestling's still a big part of my life and everything. But Whatever it is, there's nothing that pulls me to attend wrestling like, like I said, like live music or like a good mm -hmm. baseball game. Sure. If there's a, if Jacob DeGrom's going to have a big game for the Mets, I might want to go be there for that. But if Brian Danielson's going to wrestle Adam Page, a match I want to love. I'd much rather be at home watching on my couch. Well, I'm with, I'm with you on that because, I mean, the shows I want to attend for the most part are the local Lucha shows because, you know, those are the people I'm closest to. Those are my buddies. Yeah. And, you know, you know, sometimes people like Negro Casas or Psychosis will come in. You know, those are always fun. And, yeah, Fredo and I usually are hanging in the in, – uh, the back room, or when when Dan is at the shows, we're hanging with Superboy and his family. That's more the rush. And I, I and honestly, I think all the fans who are, you know, avidly going to shows today, in twenty years, probably going to be the same thing with them. It's going to be different enough where it doesn't hold the same rush for them. Anyone else want to jump in on this? Well, let's actually ask this question yeah. around the table. Well, Dan Farron, what's the last show you attended, and any thoughts on this conversation? Yeah, uh, the. Well, I, the last show I attended, I really can't call it a last show uh, because it it was uh, the, the dumpster fire that is the Cauliflower Alley wrestling show the night before it starts. Ooh. Um, <laughs> oh, I heard, oh my <laughs> God. We didn't even talk about that, but we'll, we'll go back to I that. I know. Uh, yeah, I uh, basically the nice thing about that is, you know, my, my wife was never a professional wrestling fan, and I converted her after we got married. And so she likes to go to shows, and she likes to go to Lucha shows more than anything else. And uh, so I, I do have somebody that I can go with and, and enjoy the show. But, like, we stayed in the back for that. But uh, I'll do the pros because I know we'll hit the cons in a second. Uh, the pros of that show was I got the chance to see Octagoncito and uh, La Stuka. Is it La Stuka, Kurt? Sturka? You know what I'm referring to? Yeah. Stuka, uh, it's the uh, name of an old World War II uh, fighter yeah, plane. Stuka. I got to I got to watch them and I got to see Miranda Gordy, who was Terry uh, Terry Gordy's daughter. Uh, that was the fun part. But you know, um, it's still I find myself when I go to these shows, I wind up talking to the people I know more so than watching the matches. And uh, you know, like Kurt, I like to go to to. to but prior to that, I think it was about two years ago, uh, I went to uh, one of the uh, East LA Lucha shows. But I enjoy those because it's a sense of family. People are hanging out. They're talking. You're with friends or whatever. Um, I, the same way with Kurt also, uh, if somebody like Necrocosis or somebody uh, like a name comes to town, uh, I'm more than, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them. Um, but in general right now, uh, concert-wise even, and sporting events, um, I, you know, people say to me, are you going to go to wrestling shows soon? And I say, no, I'm not going to go to wrestling shows. And people ask me why. And I said, because I worked on wrestling shows. I know how they're, how they're put together and how, and what, what happens there. Yeah. And I don't trust anybody running shows to, to really take into consideration what needs to be in those situations. I would rather go to uh, a comedy show or uh, we just started, you know, I, I helped produce and do a, a storytelling show on Wednesday nights here in L.A. And we've been down for almost a year and a half, and we just started doing shows 
first outside and now uh, very strategically, you know, done inside. And I would much rather look forward to getting back to doing those again and, and, and doing those shows than I would to, to rush out and see anything. Uh, Actually, I'm so with you on that, Dan. I miss, I miss the yeah. uh, storytelling shows. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's, you know, also, I think a lot of that has to do for me with, uh, it's very funny. I've I've been doing some writing recently and putting some stuff together that I think I may do something with. It's about my first two years as a wrestling fan and going to the matches in San Bernardino every week. And I kept notes for the first like year, year and a half of all the results, all the things that happened. Um, And also the last six months of, uh, I watched the last six months of, KCOP, uh, uh, Los Angeles Wrestling, right when they lost their um, uh, their contract. So I, got, I had the last six months of results for that, which a lot of people don't have. And so basically, I, I want to put something together, which is talks about and gives the results of um, uh, of San Bernardino Wrestling during those two years that I became a fan and what made me a fan uh, about it. And 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 that's kind of more along the lines of what um, uh, what I want to do right now. Okay. Lou Kippelman, last show you attended. That would have been uh, a couple of years ago. Well, let's see. I I believe it was right before the pandemic really hit in uh, early 2020 uh, because it was the opening of the Chase Center in downtown San Francisco uh, or in the the Mission Bay neighborhood in San Francisco. And uh, a couple of events that kicked it off were a uh, Raw, a live Raw, and a uh, SmackDown. It was the last SmackDown on, I want to say, Sci-Fi before they went live on Fox uh, the next week. So uh, referring to the uh, the latest bonus drive-through, I was a seat filler. So <laughs> were, you, were you really? Ah, that's great. I, oh, I was, man. Did they give you those rules like they have now? Uh, we did. I forget if we had some waivers to sign or anything. It was, I mean, it, it was all pretty loose. But you know, I ended up. They ended up hustling me around. You know, up one or two levels, and then back down to ringside, and then up here and up there. So you know. I, I certainly got my steps in, uh, but yeah, it was an uh, well, it was an interesting experience, and and it was free. Hey, take take us back a step. How did you become a seat filler? What happens when you get there? Like, what's how how does this work? This isn't the Grammys. Well, how does it work for WWE? Yeah. Well, uh, in my case, pretty much, I knew a guy, and the guy uh, is my nephew, who. Uh, had a friend who was actually working events for the Warriors. And so she was also involved with uh, the WWE shows coming. And so she kind of put out amongst her, uh, you know, friends in the business and whatever, uh, that they needed seat fillers. So it ended up being... On uh, that Monday Night Raw, it was me, my nephew, and my wife, and and then the next night it was uh, yeah, me and my nephew again. So that was that was kind of that. It was like you uh, 
you kind of went in through a, you know, a side entrance and then uh, I forget who it was who was kind of giving us the rundown and the and the pep talk and the whole deal. But, uh, yeah, it's just very it's like, OK, you two uh, follow that guy. You two follow that guy. You three follow that person. And then it's just be ready to move at a moment's notice. So any weird reactions from the people you sit next to, especially if it's someone who's like sitting with their kids or their family or something. <laughs> right. Uh, well, that's the thing. I don't, I don't recall any, uh, any sideways glances or anything. So no, no, no shade thrown towards me that I can recall. So those were the last two shows you attended to the bigger question what are your thoughts right now? And, you know, it, it could be COVID related. It could also just be in general, your thoughts about attending live things. But when you, is there something that makes you want to go see wrestling now? What are your thoughts now? Lou? Well, uh, as far as I know, there's only one. Well, there were a couple of indies in the San Francisco area, uh, which are operating and running shows. Uh, one being big time wrestling out the East Bay, which uh, this has gotten in the news due to the unfortunate uh, death of, of the owner of the promotion, Kirk White. Uh, the other one is uh, West Coast Pro Wrestling, which they run on approximately a monthly basis in uh, South San Francisco, which is a completely different city from San Francisco. It's about 10, 15 minutes south. And so West Coast Pro, they, you know, they bring in good big name talent, guys like uh, Jacob Fatu. They just announced a March show uh, where Malachi Black is appearing. That's already sold out. But uh, a couple of uh, a couple of pals, Jason Rudy and Matt Mann, uh, I think frequent those shows uh, whenever they can. And so, uh, I don't know how big the, it's just like a little ballroom or event center where West Coast Pro runs. Um, I'm not sure how many they seat in there, but, uh, you know, they must get a good enough crowd that they, they bring in, uh, you know, big name indie talent and, or, you know, non-contracted talent and, you know run the shows and they seem to have a very uh, enthusiastic fan base as for COVID. Yeah. I'm waiting for, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for, you know, this current wave to dissipate. We'll see what the next, you know, we'll see what, uh, uh, Omega or, or pie or phi, uh, comes, uh, and to see if it's, Ah, a little less uh, annoying or deadly. Oh my God. You know how good for the Jim Cornette show business it'll be if the Omega variant is deadly? If Jim could start <laughs> ranting about the deadly Omega variant on each episode, oh my God, the That's numbers sweet. are this, Yes, where my index fingers are involuntarily pointing <laughs> and spasming. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, let's go well, to. I was, well, what were you going to say? 
Who Nothing. I was just, just no. was going to take my turn and yeah. tell you about the show. <laughs> I just realized that I've been to, for me, an astonishing three shows this year. <laughs> well, the XW so show was when? That was over the summer? No, that was just in the fall. That was that was like two weeks after their Dark Side of the Ring episode. So October, maybe. Um, and then... Um, uh, in August, uh, Brian Solomon, did you go to the uh, to the wrestling show the night before the uh, Wrestling Hall of Fame in Albany? No, no, actually, I did not go to that. I got there uh, the next day. I think it was just a matter of not wanting to book another night at the yeah. hotel, basically. Sure. I also didn't, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I was kind of worried it would be something like, what I hear those cauliflower alley shows are like. So I didn't know if I would be missing that much. They had a, they had a huge, uh, star studded, uh, card planned. And, in the, and as is always the case is with, with pro right. wrestling, the, the promoter, um, pulled, canceled the show. Uh, so, and that was a big part of the weekend was the big show on all the big name stars, Mark Henry and this one and that one that were going to be on it. Um, so the promoter said that he had gotten sick. He didn't say it was COVID. He said he had gotten sick. Um, so he was, so he was canceling the show and he canceled the show and somehow pulled all the name talent off the hall of fame. weekend. <laughs> so with two weeks, oh, with two weeks left, with two weeks left, they had to scramble, and they and they used a promotion. It's one of the tiny little promotions that that promotes near my hometown now. Um, you know, independent group that doesn't usually use outside talent. Um, so it was a lot of inexperienced young guys and all this, and a few a few old timers that were still booked or or stayed booked. Um, wrestled on the show. So God knows how old Bushwhacker Luke is, but he was actually in the ring on that show. Um, and rock and roll was on there too. And believe me, rock and roll at whatever their ages looked better than you could ever expect and had to lead their opponents by the hand. This other young team didn't have a clue, but at least they got to work with rock and roll. And, uh, and Tammy got in the ring and, and did, it and, and got arrested. A yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, I'd heard a little he bit. Pretty, yeah, he was pretty I'd heard well behaved that. that weekend. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah. The other significant thing was this group comes up. They had a thirty-man battle royal, so there was at least thirty guys, you know, you know, with their kick pads and their outfits and their gimmicks, and. You know, anybody that had gimmicks to sell had a little stand set up and all this. You never heard, I guarantee you, maybe heard of one of the 30 guys that were in the 30-man <laughs> uh, battle royal. And I'll only say, you know, and you can imagine that these guys probably, you know, but they were all there. They all worked, if you want to call it that, because at least, you know, <laughs> you know, if they weren't in any of the other matches, they were, you know, there was at least 20 of them that were all that were in the just in the battle royal, you know. So the next day they have, you know, the, they have the the the, uh, the evening festivities. They have uh, 
con- you know, what could loosely be called a convention in the afternoon. And uh, not a one of those 30 guys showed up for any of that stuff the next day. Oh, not Lord. Lord. <laughs> Dennis, Dennis Caraluzzo, I don't want to say he made the guys do it, but pr- he practically made them do it. It was basically, you got to be here. Whenever he did a function for the Eddie Gilbert uh, uh, tribute dinners yeah. or anything else, all of his workers were there and they were all dressed nicely and they all sat there, whether they were bored and a lot of them weren't. A lot of them really enjoyed it and enjoyed the history, but it was kind of a thing. If you expect to be booked, you better be here. And I think it was better for everyone that it was like that, actually. You were there, Scott. You yeah. were with me at those things. All of Dennis's workers oh, yeah. were there. <laughs> who, who was the, at our table? Who was at the table that you always bring up? <laughs> the, one year at the Eddie Gilbert Memorial Brawl, where I did all the videos for the thing while uh, it was there, while it was going on. I had yeah, the, you weren't really at the – you were so busy, you weren't really at the table. The table was, believe me, I, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it was like eight people that either couldn't or wouldn't speak English. We had this German guy that I don't think spoke any English, Franz Schumann. Uh, uh, we had uh, uh, Kevin Lawler, who said nothing. We had... Uh, we had... Uh, Fred the Elephant Boy, uh, who said nothing. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm leaving out like one or two other monosyllabic or, or, or mute uh, people. <laughs> I was sitting the table. I'm sitting, between, I'm sitting between Fred the Elephant Boy and Franz Schumann, you know, Brian's oh off from the slide, slide projector or something, you know. I, I, yeah, I you know, I think your cousin was at the table. We didn't know each other, so no, none of us said anything. You know, oh my god! I love the idea oh. that Franz Schumann came over from Germany for this big show, and it was him getting a shot at the NWA World Champion Dan Severn, and he was wearing like a three-piece yeah. suit, looked like a professional athlete, not a wrestler, looked like a professional <laughs> athlete. Like dressed nicely, and here he is at a table with me, Mark Harlow, Scott Cornish, Fred the Elephant Fred Boy, Cornish, Kevin Lawler. Kevin Lawler. <laughs> oh, it was such a funny. Okay, t- you know what train wreck disaster I regret not attending was <laughs> that? The, the famous 2007 Cow Palace. Oh, uh, oh, oh dude, the best. I would. I so kicked myself for not having driven up there and attending that. That would have oh. been so Ooh, did you, amazing. Uh, Lou, did you go to that? Oh, yes, I did. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was, yeah, that was like my uh, my first sort of fan convention experience. Just kind of uh, going through there and, you know, you, you hear about <laughs> the stuff. Unfortunately, I, I didn't have, uh, you know, I wasn't a firsthand witness to you know, Don Fry getting sucker punched at the airport hotel or, <laughs> oh. or like any of this other the stuff. Best. Don't, was, forget, don't forget the biggest thing ever. And this will always stay with me. The greatest thing Brian Alvarez ever wrote in the figure four weekly review of the Cow Palace disaster. It said <laughs> Steve Austin arrived and was debriefed by Dr. Michael. Aino. Yes. Oh, <laughs> and it's the, the Oh, in fact, the debriefing in fact, part of it is what makes it so funny. Oh my god, that's a 
In fact, in fact, forgive me for plugging another uh, show, uh, uh, Brian, but everybody should go back to Brian Alvarez interviewing Mike Leno to get his rundown on the show. <laughs> and uh, Brian mm. has to say very little. He just lets Mike Leno talk. It was gold. It was comedy gold. Wow. I, I might have to subscribe to get that archive audio. It's worth yeah. it. It is worth every penny. Yes. I remember I remember reading one report where they said Jimmy Snooker was at the convention at either at the hotel or the convention or something. He was so totally ripped off and stranded that, that oh. he was like crying and you know, like weeping which is, and, and he's a mur- and he's a murderer I know. <laughs> the day the killer cried. Jerry Lewis's other unseen movie, The Day the Killer Cried. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I saw a lot of lonely looking legends uh, around there. Like, yeah, uh, wow. yeah Harley Brace, Snuka, uh, who else? I saw uh, Dr. Death was there. Um, Baby Doll was there. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle yeah. was there, but the you know when I was there at the concourse, uh, he wasn't around. He was there representing CAC. So <laughs> that's even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been one guy I would have liked to have seen. And actually, I was looking at uh, one dealer table, and all of a sudden, Larry Zabisco kind of sidles up next to me. And he's looking at this stuff. It was like second, you know, second, third, fifth generation DVD copies of the the approximately 4.25 hours of Roy Shire TV that remains in existence. <laughs> and there's Larry Zabisco, you know, co- comes right up and says to no one in particular, oh, yeah, fucking Roy Shire. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like, what do you want me to say, boss? Oh, oh my god! <laughs> like, okay, it's Spudhead. That, it sounds like a larger version of the fan convention that you see in the movie The Wrestler. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much. And it was like so many people, so many, so many workers and legends got totally shafted and stiffed. And people, you know, there were people who were supposed to come in who who didn't make it, like uh, Buddy Rose. I forget if De Beers mm-hmm. was supposed to be there or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got Steve Austin. They couldn't get Buddy Rose and Colonel De Beers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess they were, you know, I, I, I'm sure Austin got his money up front. Him and, like, Bischoff had a thing, like, a, you know, a, a ticketed event. Piper had a uh, it was supposed to be a one man show with like $40 tickets Mm -hmm. and um, everything by that day. I think it was day two. I was there. Everything had broken down so much that there was nobody in charge uh, of, you know, facilitating uh, the Piper show. Yeah. So that finally, you know, Piper said just fuck it and start walking around the concourse ah. and then ah i could kick myself for it i didn't stick around to see him he he got there was a ring set up he got in the ring and just did his show for free for whoever was there whoa whoa yeah yeah, yeah. but it's, and i came back the next day because they had a ring of honor show 
and that that was cool. Somebody was was leaving who had flown in. He's like, "Yeah, here's my ultra pass. I don't need this." I'm like, "Cool." <laughs> so I got to you know, <laughs> I got to see Ring of Honor for the first time. So, but yeah, altogether it was talk about killing a town. I wish that, I was there. I just killed that town for 15 years. Or you say, well, for however long before WrestleMania showed up in Santa Clara. But, yeah. <laughs> hey, Dan, what exactly happened yeah. with that show at CAC? Because everyone, as soon as it was over, tried to distance themselves from it as fast as they could. If you were there, what oh, happened? Oh, man, I tell you uh, it looked like look like Day of the Locust. People going down the uh, elevators and escalators to get away from that. <laughs> it was like, oh. Uh, well, the trouble is the shows are 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 just basically the uh, the guys that come in and do the shows. Uh, oftentimes, they also never stay for the actual banquet or any of the, any of the stuff. They just come in because they want to get that. You know, they want to they got their books someplace else for the next night. And they just want that that job. Um, and what happens is they get kind of thrown together and, um, and it depends on who shows up and who's there. And then there are certain groups that come in and basically from what I've been told by their way onto the show, they say, we're bringing this guy and we're bringing that guy. And, uh, and then they wind up just kind of putting matches together. So oftentimes because they want to do so much stuff, uh, you'll get like four matches in a row that are, eight person tag matches with uh, two girls and three managers at ringside. Uh, that just basically is everybody is a clusterfuck that everybody is wandering around at. The big thing is, and I can't really, Oh gee, I don't have uh, the exact, there is a, I don't have the exact information, so I'm going to have to paraphrase this. Uh, and, and hopefully you'll feel comfortable with this, Brian. Uh, there was a guy who was recently discovered to be on a predator list uh, in Florida. And he runs a school, and he cut a deal to come out and bring some of his students out. And then at the last minute, somehow he cut a deal to appear on the show. Um. And, and whatever, what happened was this guy had been, um, I guess, involved with underage with minors at one point. And one of the matches they had him lined up with was with like a 16 year old boy, which a lot of people were on. Jesus. I didn't, I didn't know that that part of it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that, that, I didn't see that the first night. Uh, what I know is I was sitting, we were sitting in the back and the second night of show started and. Um, all of a sudden we're into like, like two minutes into the match. And then you start hearing phones, like, you know, uh, alerts going off, bing, 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 all, all, all around. Right. And everybody keeps looking at their phone and Carmine DiSpiritu comes over to me and says, this guy is on a predator list in Florida. And, and we were all like, really? And we took a look at it and then it was the guy. And I turned to my wife just to say, let's give up. Let's go until this, uh, this match is over. I want nothing to do with this. Was and it, the match ended this? quickly and, and he was, uh, and, and he left, but it was a big thing. And what it came down to was, uh, some people, um, uh, I don't know. It's all over the place. You know, Kyle Flower Alley basically always says that the, that those matches, 
are just uh, independent matches brought in. They are not uh, affiliated with uh, Cauliflower Alley. Other people, you know, mm-hmm. feel uh, otherwise. But whatever happened there was, yeah. uh, it was just, yeah. it was just a mess. Do you guys have any? I know Brian, you were there. Did anybody else have anything more detailed on that than I do? Well, I okay. This is just what I read on Facebook, so I have no idea if any of this. Oh, what has to be but, true then? Uh, <laughs> 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 no, but some of the claims, and I and and again, you know, because I guess there was a you know uh, cauliflowers coming to their defense, saying you know, saying essentially what you just said. But some people said that he, that the guy was attending the banquet too, and I don't know if that's true or not. But well, I, I, I did actually. Uh, was he at the because, banquet? I know you pointed I, I him like out to me uh, when when they had the promoters uh, roundtable uh, on day two. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, oh yeah, that's right. We were we were sitting in there. That's right. When we went to see the promoters roundtable, he was there and he was asking questions. Um, Oh, you know, it it, it it was a very, it was a, I think it was, it was badly handled. And it's one thing to sit there and say, one, here's the thing is you can sit there and say, well, this, we don't allow this. We don't allow, allow that. But when that person is there, I feel like something needs to be done or something should have been done. It, it, it was of course not handled very well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was really, I remember actually the guy was like three doors down from where, where I was staying. And, um, uh, and he came past one night and we were coming out the door and I, I, I guess we were, we were a little startled or whatever. And he goes, he says, all right, don't worry, but don't hang around the hall too long because, uh, if you do, I'll call the police. And I said, well, that's something you should know about. Uh, and then ooh, we, let, we went out they left at that point. But, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a very, very bad, very uncomfortable situation. When, I just remember at the, uh, I, at the live show when, I'm sorry. At the live show, when the when the phones were going off, yeah, was that just was that just gossip or was that an actual Amber Alert going on? Because I'm not even But joking. it was like it was like the I think I think Al Getz jumped on it first or whatever or, or noticed it first. But it, all of a sudden it was just the words going around. Hey, is this the guy? Are you sure? You know, it's that it's that yeah. whole network of fans like you know. Uh, Wonder Twins, uh, let's get together, boom, and figure this out. You know that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it was just it was it, it was something they didn't need, especially uh, back after a couple of years. So, uh, yeah, just badly handled, badly handled. Brian Solomon, you were going to jump in before. No, just just real quickly, the because I didn't go to that part of it, uh, but I do remember that seeing a lot of people kind of in the lobby in the registration lobby after the fact uh, complaining. There were people that were raising, yeah. that were trying to raise the issue with the people at the at the tables taking, you know, passes and stuff. And all they kept getting really was kind of like that stock response of, you know, we're not affiliated with them and that is an independent thing and we have no control over it. <clears throat> and you could tell they probably were kind of told that if anybody brings this up, just tell them that because it just kept yeah. happening over and over again. And, you know, it was... Um, it was. It sort of was a cloud that hung over uh, the weekend for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think that if no matter what the situation is, if I had a show that I was running uh, two nights, okay, and then I had another show come in similar to what I do uh, on the night before, uh, I would want to make sure that it's completely understood that that I have nothing to do with them. But the thing is, people are going to believe that they do because of the way it's set up. 
I feel like what the CAC should do in that situation is uh, if they're, if they're going to have a show the night before, and I truthfully don't think they even need to have one. Uh, I, I would much rather see them add like a, like a, a mixer or something real informal that night before, instead of trying to throw a wrestling show together. Uh, but if they're going to have this show, even though they're not affiliated with it, uh, I believe that they should vet it a lot better. Uh, they should have somebody from their crew go over and say, all right, who's on this show? Who was, and then, and they need to check it out and see what the deal is and, and who's on there to make sure that, um, that even though they're not affiliated with it, it's still going to be associated with them. It's, it's still going to be, I mean, we're talking about it this way, like it is part of it. And I firmly kind of believe it is. And so I think they need to vet that show a lot better. And I've, I've heard some people say that there's supposed to be changes next year, but you know, we'll wait and see. Uh, Brian Solomon. Yes. You actually did say something before. Now I think I was about to go back to you before. And <laughs> did we? Oh, ever, you mean you mean the last show that I attended? We, yeah, that, did we ever get to your uh, the last show you attended? Well, I mean, I talked a little bit about how I've been going to to more shows lately because of my my young son. But um, the last so the last show I was at was actually um, uh, Survivor Series that they just had at the Barclay Center in Brooklyn, which I I brought both my sons to that, and I have to say, I mean. It was I've been to a lot of pay-per-views over the years, especially when I worked over there. That was easily the worst pay-per-view event I have ever witnessed live. Wow. Easily. It was I mean, I could say that with all confidence. It was I mean, I'm sure maybe some of you watched it. It was recently, but uh, Brian, I'm pretty sure you did. It was just dull and the crowd was dead. And it was a nothing show. And, and it was just kind of sad because, like, my older son was there with me and he's 17 and he's been coming to shows with me for, you know, over 10 years now. And even he was just sort of like, what is going on here? This show is terrible. And this is a 17 year old kid saying this. <laughs> but but the, the thing with me about like I spent years of not going to live shows after I worked there because it kind of. Burned me sure. out a little bit. And you, and it's like, I, I think, Dan, you were saying too, a little bit like you get too close to, you, know, you see how the sausage is made and it just takes, mm-hmm. it takes some of the yeah. fun out of it. You could never quite yeah. go back to the wonder that you had. And there's also that aspect of, you know, look, I mean, um, I got to like sit in gorilla position and like I got to like sit in hard camera or like sit in catering and you're watching it, you know, with the boys and everything. And and then you start to feel in later years, like I started to feel like, oh, God, I'm like Henry Hill at the end of Goodfellas. Like, like, here I am. <laughs> I'm buying a ticket like a schlub. I'm sitting in the audience. <laughs> I'm like, you know, just like a regular bum like everybody else. And I'm like, I don't know if I, I want to go back to this. And because, it, no, it does. It spoils you. It does, that's, that's the truth. And you start to feel like, wow, I worked for this company for all these years that taught me to have complete contempt for the people that are sitting in these seats. And now I'm one of them. So, oh. so, so the one thing, <laughs> it's, it's harsh truth, but, but I had to break out of that way of thinking. And the one, and the thing that helped bring me back to was my kids. Cause like when my kids started getting into it, then I started getting into it more myself again and sort of being able to enjoy it again live, but it's still not, it's not the same as it was. And that's also, it's not just from working there. It's just from getting older. I think, I don't know. I think so too. I think, I think one, 
there will be nothing like that first year when I was a little kid and I discovered pro wrestling from the L.A. wrestling to Titanes and El Ring to whatever, because, you know, there's a lot of stray wrestling shows from other places that would pop up on TV. Um, and then uh, fast forward, you know, the time, Dan, that you and, you know, people like Larry and I had in the early to mid-90s, that was like when we were actually involved. That was like really magic. And then it just, you know... We we lost friends over the year, you know, get a lot older, and then, you know, uh, we go to the shows where we're involved, and a lot of times people don't recognize, you know, know who we are, even, so it's just kind of like, like you said, the Henry, <laughs> the Henry Hill, yeah. the Henry Hill thing, you know? Right, right. They gave me egg noodles and ketchup, and they called it spaghetti with marinara sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Did everyone else yeah, answer I, the question about last show? My last show was uh, a little over two years ago. It was just a local lucha show. There wasn't anything special about it other than all my buddies were there. It was after Fisco Nuclear's uh, hubby had recently passed, so we were kind of just uh, afraid when I were saying, hey, let's go out and do something. We had a lot of fun, and we were going to do it again, and COVID hit. That's okay. Dan, were you going to say something before? Uh, no, actually, I was, going to, I was going to mention that the one show that I, I wish we hadn't uh, had it missed, and we didn't really miss it, was canceled, was uh, one of these bright ideas that these guys that had a little, a little shop uh, here locally decided to uh, put a, uh, a tent up over the ring and have matches outside in the parking lot. Oh, my God. And yes. uh, <laughs> it was, we hit like tornado-style winds that night. And we couldn't, and we got there, and you couldn't even really sit down. The chairs were blowing across the parking lot. The, the tent <laughs> flew off, or whatever. And it's the only wrestling yes. match I've ever been to that was called on account of wind. No, oh, it happened. Great. No, it happened. We we were smart oh, no, enough I, not to I, go. I, oh, it did happen. Well, that's right. We Hetty left. Sero, Hetty Sero was yeah. there. That's right. And that's right. But Superboy, yeah, everything blew away. Which, yeah, Superboy told me the next day that he had to tell his sons, "Don't go on the top turnbuckle because there are yeah. live wires blowing around you." Oh, <laughs> holy shit! Oh, wow, God. Yeah, no. Remember, you, it was you, me, Mary Lou, and Fredo, and we went up wound yeah. going to the Starbucks down the street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's. I mean, it's, this is why I say I when people say, "Do you go to wrestling shows yet?" And I say, "No, I don't go to them because I've been to them and I know what happens." And the fact that they had a show with live wires blowing around up near the top <laughs> turnbuckle gives you an idea of basically about the people you work with, you know. Yep. Wow. That and was a fun think, night at Starbucks, and, though. <laughs> and to think every match could have been a Texas tornado match. Yeah. Or Texas <laughs> death match. Well, my wife is very tiny. She's five feet tall. And basically, we got out of the car, and I, I said, I can't hold on to her hand the entire night because she's going she's gonna to blow away with everything else. I mean, I had never seen anything like that before. I'd gone to shows in the rain and all this other kind of stuff, and heat waves, but never anything like that. And it was freezing, too. It was freezing. Yeah. But we had a nice time at Starbucks that night. Well, I, I had no idea the Starbucks thing made such an impression on you. You mentioned it three times now. <laughs> because because it was freezing cold and it was windy, and we were yeah, in a warm a place, a so I treasure that memory forever. <laughs> <laughs> we had shelter, goddammit. Yeah. You ever see that episode of, um, oh, what's the name of the fucking show? Now I'm forgetting it, from uh, Comedy Central. Nathan, uh, 
Nathan for you. Nathan for you, where he opens dumb Starbucks. In Southern California, it was a prank, but it was brilliant and it got a lot of publicity. It was a show where he would like help people with their problems by coming up with the dumbest possible solution. But in some way, it made some sense. And he came up with the idea of opening a coffee shop called Dumb Starbucks. And it was the exact (laughs) same menu, except everything was dumb. I'll have a dumb latte. <laughs> I'll have a dumb cappuccino. And it's and it got like local news cover. It's a hysterical episode if you can ever find That's it. That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> dumb Starbucks. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, oh, Brian. Yeah. Oh, I just I, Brian, real quick, I just wanted to thank you for the uh, inadvertent recommendation. Uh, I've been reading Tinderbox. Oh, about, you know what? Um, I'm in the uh, middle of it too. I, I still haven't finished it because I've yeah. been so backed up, and uh, I'm getting up to right now. Michael Fuchs uh, going to Warner Music. That's where I'm up to. Yeah, it's it's, it's a great book. Really interesting. A, a lot of interesting stuff there. You know, because it's more than HBO. It's really the advent of pay television, of yeah, cable, of trying is. to figuring out, trying to figure out not just the business model, but how do you actually get cables <laughs> to different places? How yeah, did Dolan exactly. get involved? It's it's a Really, really neat book. You know, the only complaint I really have is, and it's such a big book and there's so many voices and so much to cover because it's covering, you know, years and years and years, but some stuff, it just feels like it goes past too quickly. Um, yeah. Like you get a mention of a television show or an actor and then it's gone. It's like, well, it had to be more than that. You know, Brian yeah. ben name was mentioned several times in Dream On, and then yeah. all of a sudden it's it's gone. <laughs> and that's the, that's the first time his name's been mentioned in a long time. <laughs> that's uh, right. That's, a- <laughs> that's right. Well, good. Yeah, point. I mean, they even talk about shows that I forgot were even on. I mean, I remember First and Ten. Have you got to the part about First and Ten? First yet? and Ten. How about not necessarily the news? I love yeah. that show. Okay, that's one oh, I remember. Yeah. Viva Sniglets. <laughs> hey, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Brain games. Brain? Yeah. They talk about yeah. brain games in the book. I mean, see, that's yeah, the cool do. thing. They talk about a lot of these things. It just, it feels like, and I get why they didn't. And Brian Solomon, you probably would too, just as a writer. I get why they couldn't go deep into everything, but unfortunately, they just touch on some things. And then, like, some stuff like the boxing stuff, it's just they go through a whole bunch of yeah, stuff. Yeah, the boxing quickly. stuff's great. But, they, but in some of the cases, it feels like they go through some stuff quickly. But the overall story yeah. of how HBO got boxing and turned it into a real business and then how they dealt with losing Tyson, all that stuff is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. What are you reading, Kurt? Oh, wow. Well, I'm, uh, I had the pleasant discovery of uh, finding out that my, one of my favorite uh, fiction writers, Haruki Murakami, is... Uh, like me, a total cat lover, and on top of that, he like uh, collects T-shirts like crazy, which I also do. And he wrote a book where he does essays on the T-shirts he's collected. And uh, I'm trying to think what else I'm reading. Oh, oh, I got a book that I am so glad was written for over 30 years now. I have been fascinated with a private detective. Uh, here in L.A., who uh, some people theorize that it was where Raymond Chandler got the idea for um, Detective Philip Marlowe. Don't know if that's 
confirmed or not, but there's a, a um, and I'm getting very old now because I'm blanking on his name, even though uh, uh, I, I know. <laughs> God damn, I'm getting old. This is sad. <laughs> um, Harry Raymond, um, he was a crooked cop who got drummed out of two different jobs and became a crooked, uh, crooked private detective. But I don't know how famous the name Cliff Clifton is on in places other than Southern California. He had uh, a cafeteria during the Depression where if you showed up and you didn't have money, he'd still feed you. Uh, and it's like the pantry in downtown L.A. today where if you're sitting at a big table and other people come in, you're sharing that table with other people. And he – it was also – he would let blacks sit with whites. In fact, he would insist they did, and he got a lot of pushback, needless to say, during that era. He also discovered how corrupt the LAPD and the, um, uh, the mayor's department was, so he did an investigation, and he hired Detective Harry Raymond, who um, you know, was getting some good dirt on them, and uh, the police responded by planting a bomb in Cliff Clifton's Los Feliz house, and they put a pipe bomb in Harry Raymond's car. Both bombs went off. Fortunately, none of Clifton's family was hurt, but Harry Raymond's car blew up, and he was uh, loaded with, uh, I think, a couple hundred shreds of shrapnel in him. They thought that would shut him up, but he went and testified like, in a wheelchair, just something like out of a movie. But I've always been fascinated with this guy since I was in my 20s. And God bless whoever it is. Somebody actually wrote a book on him. So um, that's what wow. I'm reading right now. What's the name of the book, if you recall? Oh, you know what? Let me look it up right here on my computer because, again, I'm getting old. I'm afraid I forgot almost everything that's right in front of me these days. Um. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, oh. th this is what's going to separate us from the other wrestling podcasts. We're going to end the show talking about books. Kurt, that's <laughs> right. It's called The Long Winding Road of Harry Raymond, A Detective's Journey Down the Mean Streets of Pre-War pre Los Angeles. Talks all about uh, him growing up pretty much being a thug, then being a police thug, and then being a private detective thug. But uh, his testimony actually uh, – got the mayor and his relatives kicked out of office and got rid of a lot of the uh, bad cops of the day. So, you know, it's a pretty impressive story that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm finally reading a really good, um, a well-researched account of it. So is he, and forgive me for not knowing this, even though I love the movie, how much of this was the inspiration for LA Confidential? Mm, probably if, not much. If any of it, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a different. Yeah, it's a different scene. It doesn't really go into a lot of like the you know. I don't know. I'd have to watch LA Confidential for the umpteenth time to really make the comparison. No, this was kind of like a two-person investigation. I mean, nobody expected these guys to have such a huge effect. You know, and I've heard different romanticized versions of this story, and it's, it, you know, I'm just maybe two chapters into it, so it's going to be fun seeing a more raw version of it. I mean, they don't try to paint him out to be like, 
you know, kind of like this rogue but nice guy. They they're really showing him, you know, <laughs> in all all his anti glory. And yeah, you know, I, I for the last couple of years, every now and then, I would just uh, start going through newspaper.com to find whatever uh, articles I could find on him. I found a good bunch of stuff, but nothing like this cat did. So the author's name is uh, Patrick Jennings. Scott Cornish, what are you reading? I'm reading, I just finished that Burt Prentice uh, interview book that I told you about. I'm reading It Never Ends by Tom Sharpling from uh, ah, the, the, cool. best, the Best Show, a memoir. That is very funny and unexpectedly very touching uh, memoir by about uh, Tom. And uh, also reading... Is, um, did, did Ronald uh, Thomas Clontal write the forward? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. No, but the book rules. I'll put it that way. Oh, wow. Um, uh, and uh, also reading Great Pretenders, which is sort of a memoir by a friend of mine, Karen Schomer. Uh, she wrote this years ago uh, where she went back and interviewed like her mother's teen idols. So she interviews it. She goes back and it's more of a memoir of her trying to relate to her mother's taste in, <laughs> in music where she interviews uh, Fabian and Connie Francis and, uh, you know, Bobby V and those sort of 50s, 60s teen idols. It's a very, very touching, interesting book. And, uh, she's a, she's a fascinating, uh, very cool person. And the other book I've had forever and now we'll just start reading is Sympathy for the Drummer, Why Charlie Watts Matters by Mike Edison. I have that one here too, actually. And uh, Mike Edison, may, may, I cut, may I cut in really briefly just, yeah. just because I will forget this. I'm not reading it, but I want to let uh, uh, Mr. Solomon know that I uh, got the Godzilla FAQ book from my brother-in-law for Christmas and he was jazzed. He was oh. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dan, I think you mentioned that your wife had, uh, had the book too, right? Or she yeah, read it. My, uh, she loved, she's a big Godzilla fan. She loves the book. Yeah, thank you guys. That that means a lot. That wound up being, um, I don't know, I I never saw it coming, but it it's the best selling of the books that I've done, which I don't know what that says about my wrestling writing, but it was the one that I was like, I was like, you know what? Because I, I guess I can write a book about Godzilla. Why not? I, I like Godzilla movies. And it was like I had the the least interest. I mean, I, I like it, but it was the, the least like personal to me. And it wound up like blowing away any of the wrestling books. So whatever. That I is guess so cool. Did. The only thing that he liked more than that was the Aubrey Edwards uh, T-shirt I got him. He was <laughs> he, he, seriously. He was he was like head over heels when I he got that. <laughs> nice. My uh, my review copy of the Sheik book is due to arrive any day. I'm on. I I understand, and uh, I'm ready to blurb. <laughs> well, mine too, I, right? Mine too. Isn't yeah. that isn't that correct? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you can get review uh, uh, digital copies. There's uh, ECW Press makes them available for people that are writing reviews and things like that. They Ooh, do even okay. from now. There have been a couple of reviews that have already come out for the book. And at first I didn't even know how. And then I look, looked into it and I saw that 
that they do that. Uh, but, you know, I want to say to somebody, uh, uh, you were talking about Mike Edison and sympathy for the drummer. Mike Edison yeah. is an amazing guy, and yeah. he actually would make a great guest on here if you ever thought about having uh, – Well, he, let, me, let, me, let me stop you there. Scott Cornish has been pitching Mike Edison, and I want to have Mike Edison on for years awesome. because I'm a big fan of um, of his writing. I shouldn't say big fan. I mean, I don't want to go too far. I'm a big fan of fucking Kurt Vonnegut. I like Mike Edison's <laughs> writing. Um, you know, I have well, his a big book. fan of fucking Kurt Vonnegut. Are I we have... in Lanny Poffo territory here again? I like, uh, what is it? I have fun everywhere I go. Of course, yes, yes. he has the background with wrestling's main event Great. magazine, which I have the entire uh, collection of. Uh, definitely someone I'd like to have on the show, and hopefully we're going to do that uh, at some point in the next year. But you and Scott Cornish are on the same wavelength. He's been wanting to. He's been telling me I should have him on the show too. And he he also he helped me get in the door at uh, the publishing company that put out my pro wrestling FAQ book because oh, he was an oh, editor wow. over there, and I had known him from mutual friends and things, and doing like wrestling, you know, video clip shows and comedy shows and things. And he recommended they wanted him to do it, and he recommended me, and that and that kind of like got the ball rolling for some of my wrestling books. So, I mean, he's, he's a really cool guy in my book and he's hilarious. Oh yeah. Yeah. He and I went to a Chikara show in Brooklyn once. <laughs> nice. That's amazing. Say no more. Yes. <laughs> yep. Lou Kippelman, you're reading anything good right now. Well, yeah. Well, currently I am reading, um, well, I, I, I wouldn't, uh, it might be lumped in as a self-help book or something, but, uh, I find the subject very kind of engrossing. The name of the book is flow, uh, the psychology of optimal experience. Uh, the author is a psychologist. Uh, I believe he passed away in 2020 or 2021. Uh, repeat after me, me high chick sent me high, uh, <laughs> is his name. It's a great name. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think, well, wow, that pronunciation, that kind of sounds like half of Kurt's life right there. <laughs> but, <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like the answer part to a, to a Karnak show. Yeah, <laughs> sis boom bah, yes. Sir. Uh, but yeah, so I, it's, Boy, it's a it's an interesting read. I'm about three fifths of the way through. Uh, I got a uh, ebook from the library, and boy, I'm on my third renewal of it. So uh, <laughs> yeah. it's not exactly light reading, but it's a it's a very interesting uh, sort of study on in in uh, the doctor here. Uh, is investigated what they call optimal experience. So what makes an experience genuinely satisfying is a state of consciousness called flow. During flow, people typically experience deep enjoyment, creativity, and a total involvement with life. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get some nuggets out of that and see, uh, see what aspects of my life can become flow experiences yeah and so. I'd, I'd like to get some flow on wednesday nights that would help my life <laughs> <laughs> jesus that's interesting oh, let, me, let me know how that book is lou it sounds interesting interesting concept yeah i would sounds heavy heavy flow 
Heavy put. Yes, exactly. Brings us back to the Kurt Angle, Stephanie McMahon, Ant Flow oh, oh, skit. No, no, no. <laughs> Years ago, when I started watching New Japan again, even before I was podcasting, actually, uh, Suzanne would watch it with me. And so she got into it. She wanted a T-shirt. I got a Nakamura shirt for me, and it wasn't even a good shirt. I just wanted to support Nakamura when he was in New Japan, not currently. And she got a Tanahashi shirt because she liked his hair. And mm-hmm. the shirt says, high fly flow. And I said, you realize when you wear that, no one has any idea. It doesn't say Tanahashi. It just says, high fly flow. I said, <laughs> that makes it all the cooler. I said, I don't think you anticipate how people are going to see this shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> all right well i think uh if no one else has any other topics or questions or anything else to uh abuse the audience with i think we're going to begin to wrap things up here for hangover come on, Ryan, we can do one more hour come on uh you know what i could <laughs> that's the scary thing i could <laughs> so i guess you don't care what book i'm reading now that's okay I Did I not care oh, oh my <laughs> god i thought i asked you brian solomon what book are you reading I mean, oh, you know, I already know this. I'm, don't worry, I'm a poetry illiterate. book of Captain Ed George. You didn't have to tell me. I already knew. <laughs> it's called Daddy, Please Don't Make Me Do This in the Ring. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I, I'm reading a um, a book actually that my daughter got me for Christmas, but I'm I'm loving it so much that I'm already like kind of a quarter of the way through it. Um, it's about the making of The Godfather. It's a brand new book. It's it's oh, called. Oh, I got um, that one. Yep. Leave yeah, the gun, take too. the cannoli. Yeah, you know that the one, yeah, by Mark Seal, the Vanity yeah. Fair uh, writer. It, it's yeah, I mean, like it's totally engrossing just because of the access that he has to so many people. I don't know if if any anybody that has it has started reading it, but it's like I mean, he talked to everyone, everyone that's alive, and even a lot of people that aren't anymore because he's been, you know, he's been a journalist for such a long time that. I guess this was a favorite topic of his. So he's done a lot of interviews over the decades with people involved with the movie. And it's just fascinating, not just the movie, but even the novel. Like he gets into everything, just how uh, Mario Puzo, his whole process of how the novel got written and published and how it led to the film, Francis Ford Coppola and just all. I mean, it's it's really, really really interesting you would think it would be a topic that had been done to death but it's it's really fascinating stuff and where did the godfather live long beach new york my hometown is that right yeah in the movie let me let me phrase this no, uh, no, right. Long Beach, oh, you mean the, you mean the Corleone cop the Corleone compound right? in the movie the godfather and the family all live in long beach new york right. uh, sunny corleone is killed at the Jones Beach toll booth, which, by the way, if you ever go over the Loop Parkway from Long Beach, you realize it doesn't make any sense the way he's killed because there was no toll booth there unless he was going over to the Wontaw Parkway, in which case it still makes no sense. Why would the toll booth be? So, but anyway, uh, but it took I just place... know that they shot him on the causeway. That's they it. shot him on the causeway, something that no one else had ever caused uh, called that over there, the causeway. But um, it's where the Meadowbrook meets the Loop Parkway. But The Godfather took place in Long Beach because Mario Puzo knew his stuff. And um, although a lot of it is just Hollywood, a lot of the people who uh, lived in my area, Long Beach, Lido Beach, Atlantic Beach, some of them may have been accused of being a part of the uh, the world of The Godfather. I'll just put it that way. Hmm. 
So it was true to life in that way that he made the Don live in a place where a Don would actually live. Right. But I think they I think they filmed it on Staten Island. That's right. They mistaken, couldn't. Right? That's right. They couldn't get the location or anything in Long yeah. Beach. So they went in Staten Island. Though, I want to say you may know this better than me. A couple of years ago, I want to say someone bought the original house like it was for sale again in Staten Island. The, the house they filmed the Long Beach scenes for The Godfather in. It was just on sale a couple of years ago, and someone bought it, I want to say. Wow, I thought Frankie Pantangeli wound up with it. Frankie Pantangeli, well, <laughs> you know, he unfortunately... Maybe he's uh, <laughs> what, Barbara DeAngelis? Well, Barbara well, you know, he might have gotten the bathtub. That's right. Know. You know, to me, we're, we're going to end up with some movie talk. To me, as much as I like Frank Pantangeli, and the guy did a great job in a movie. I don't, I don't even know what his real name is, but the guy did a great job in a movie. Losing Clemenza and yes. knowing that that entire yep. role would have been the Clemenza role for the second movie, to me, that's like one of those, like, oh, fuck. Like, the movie's still great. And then for the people that love two more than one, I'm not there. To me, The Godfather is still The Godfather. Godfather 2 is excellent. But imagine if two, if the whole movie was Clemenza instead of... um Right. And said, oh, I'm, uh, Frank Pantangeli. It would have been amazing. Right. Yeah. My, my take on yeah. the Clemenza thing, I agree with you. On paper, it, it would have made way more sense because Clemenza had that history from the first movie. And now he, right, he's turning against the family. Well, and not everything. even that, but like even the scene where Robert Duvall um, or Tom Hagen meets with him. And he goes, I remember you were the guy years ago. You were warning everyone about Hitler. You were. That was right. literally that what was Clemenza Clemenza's. was talking about in the first movie with right. Michael. Yeah. And they made mm. they made uh they made Pantangeli be a history buff, which was Clemenza's thing that he was a history buff that he knew about ancient Rome and all this stuff. That's but right. here's the the only problem with with that is this. And I know the reason it didn't happen is because the guy who played Clemenza just wanted too much money. He just had to sell a, a, He wanted to write his own lines too. That was the other right. problem. He, Right. But my problem with this is even though it would have been better for the story, I have to say I do – he's great. I, I forget his name. Cast, something Castellanos. Richard something. Castellanos. Yeah. yeah. He's right. great in that first movie in that part, which is not that huge of a part. I don't think as an actor that he could have brought the same thing to that role, that big of a role, that important of a role – as Michael Vigazzo does playing Pentangeli. I just don't think he had the chops for it. That's that's all. Well, yeah, I remember he yeah, he he was a lead in a sitcom after that. Yeah, I think that's it was right. called like Sam and Sons or something. Yeah. But they but it really didn't neither of those movies had the depth of a gangster film like Skidoo with Jackie Gleason. <laughs> that's that's the ultimate gangster movie, man. It's true. <laughs> a good point people run from that because they can't take the depth well, you know auto <laughs> premature he, he's the og exactly hey it's it, it, what's what's groucho mark it's his, that's his very last film what's he doing in the very last scene if if you guys want to reevaluate a movie with the greatest heels of any movie go watch the adventures of ford fairlane because you have, yeah, but, but, <laughs> I swear to God, you have Wayne Marks is smoking dope with Austin Pendleton in a rowboat at the end of the movie. It does not get more bitching than that. Well, we have Wayne. <laughs> I agree with you. As a Groucho fan, that is pretty bitching. But we have Wayne yes. Newton as a heel, and Wayne Newton's a killer heel in that movie. Robert yeah. England, mm -hmm. in my favorite role he ever had, and I love Freddy Krueger, but Robert England as Smiley, the happy face killer. 
Hello. And he just pops up. The greatest heel line in the history of cinema because it's so evil and so bad that you could do nothing but laugh at it. Him and Fort Fairlane are racing limousines at the cemetery. And they're, it's nighttime. They're crashing into shit. And this groupie's running around because the guy just died who's in the rock band. They're yelling at each other over the car phones like, fuck you, you fucking... And Fort Fairlane gets beeped because this movie's ridiculous. He goes, hold on, I got to take this. And he goes, <laughs> and it's uh, his assistant. What was her name? The one who was married to Jim Carrey in real life. Um, oh, Lauren Holly. Lauren Holly. Lauren Holly. Oh, yeah. Lauren As a Holly. redhead played Ford Fairlane's assistant. And she's talking to Ford for a second. Then he goes back and he goes, hey, sorry about that. That was my assistant. And Robert England goes, <laughs> your assistant is quite special. I look forward to raping her at your funeral. <laughs> Man, that's wow. the most evil line oh, I've damn. ever heard in my wow. entire life. Wow. Oh, my God. That's like MJF level. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was just the worst line I've ever God. heard. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing, going and seeing uh, – a movie in the theater and being almost the only person in the audience, one would have been Ford Fairlane and the other one was the Jerky Boys movie. <laughs> so. I, oh my that God. When it came out. Oh, what a oh mark. I saw that. I saw it in the theater. Yep. You know yep. what? You know yep. what the one line, this one line from that movie that stays with me is when <laughs> they have to pretend to be magicians and they oh, yeah. tell Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, they tell Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> that, what was it? That the opening act couldn't be there. He went on tour with the monkeys, and Ozzy Osbourne goes, The monkeys? <laughs> you know, he just couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> the jerk. The, the and then they. Gilbert's in that, isn't he? What's that? Gilbert is in that movie, isn't he? I, um, I don't Fairling. know. You know what I. Oh, oh Ford Fairlane? Yes, he plays the role that Dice wanted Howard Stern to play Johnny Crunch, the DJ, who gets right, electrocuted right. and killed. Okay. I believe from what I remember, that role was written with the idea that, hey, I got a movie and Howard's my pal. Howard will be in the movie. And then Howard's like, I'm not yeah. going anywhere near this fucking movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that, that also was yeah. in the period of time where Howard was telling everyone and convincing a lot of us for a little while that he was the greatest actor of all time. And that if he did movies, <laughs> he was the biggest movie star ever. And, and it was all bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it, if it doesn't get canceled, which I fully expect it will, I'm going to see Gilbert next Friday at a theater that is haunted. <laughs> no way. Cool. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What do you mean it's haunted? <laughs> it's an old theater, and, uh, you know, it's been kept up over the years. It's, it, I like it because it's, 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 very, it's a very old, like, movie house. Uh, or vaudeville type theater um, outside of Albany, and it is—it's not fully restored. It still looks a little seedy, and it's the legend is that it's haunted. <laughs> when, when when we have more time, I got a story. I got a story along the lines of that too. So, but you go ahead. <laughs> no, that's uh, it. Yeah, um, hey, Kurt, Kurt, if you got a story, tell your story. Okay, the fox. The Fox Movie Theater in Pomona, California, about 21 years ago, Fisico and I were on a Lucha show there. And uh, it <laughs> it had not 
nobody had even made one step toward restoring it yet. In fact, I don't know why they were allowed to have raves and wrestling shows there because mm. there was no running water in the place. It it looked like uh, the theater toward the end of uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show when Frankenfurter <laughs> just these yeah, yeah yeah, but it it was so bitching because we got there really early, early Fizzy and I, and we said, "Damn, this this place is trashed." But God, this was built like like in the early 1920s. Let's you know look around, and so we go back and. You know, it was the first time we had ever been there, so we didn't realize that the dressing rooms were like fucking dressing rooms, like for stage actors way back when. Wow. And then we uh, we started crawling through the back of the place where there's all this abandoned film equipment just laying on the you know floor. There were mattresses where vagrants were you know sleeping, and we find all these reels of film that had been you know cut you know cut to pieces and. You know, wow. it, it, it was just fun. Just it was like a little time traveling, and you know, in a kind of creepy way. But uh, I mean, that was one of the most fun experiences we had, and it was very, very weird seeing people coming in and being given like lots of bottles of water. Since you know, I think the place knew all it took was one person to say, "Hey, the toilets don't flush, or there we can't wash our hands." Mm-hmm. So they were handing out like like hundreds of bottles of bottled water. But it was a really fun. It was a really fun day. All right. Well, on that creepy note, we're going to end this episode of, <laughs> of New Year's Star Wars. Uh, we're going to start wrapping things up. Lou, let me start with you since you were the last one to join us. Any uh, closing thoughts here? Any closing words for the audience? Oh man, it is. Hold on to everything you hold dear, I guess. I'm, I, you know, I'm a, <laughs> yeah, this can be very cheerful, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I'll, I'll quote, uh, Patton Oswalt's late wife. It's chaos. Be kind. So. Oh, all right. That's actually a very nice quote, I think. Um, let's now go to Dan Farron. Let's go out of order. Dan. Closing comments, closing thoughts here on New Year's Star Wars, the Hangover Edition. Well, we somehow made it through another year. Uh, and uh, the way I always like to take a look at because uh, my, my birthday is also in this month. So it is like a new beginning. So uh, uh, my, my main feeling there is, okay, new book, new chapter, new year. And uh, we'll just uh, go from there, you know. And also, I'm really happy that we got through an entire uh, four-hour episode without any mention of Spaceman Frank Hickey. So I, I, I give I give lots of thanks. To that. <laughs> you got to wait until Kurt's off the line to make a comment like that. But uh, oh, on that topic, fool, oh, I know. fool, you fool. <laughs> on that topic, Kurt Brown, <laughs> the Spaceman of the 605 Super Podcast, Spaceman Kurt Brown. Any closing thoughts for the audience and the listeners or anything else you want to say? Oh, to the evildoers of this world, not going to your birthday party, no way, but I would go to Frank Hickey's, Spaceman Frank Hickey's birthday party in a sold-out arena where everyone is dressed in green nightgowns and just uh, don't get more bitching than that. And other than that, all I can say is, yeah! Oh, I almost wish I had ended the show with that. 
It would have been perfect. <laughs> Brian Solomon. Brian Solomon, any closing words, any closing comments here for the uh, listeners of the 605 Super Podcast? Well, if I could just, I guess, get real for a moment and get on my soapbox and just tell people that um, we are not out of this pandemic yet. And please make sure you're getting your vaccinations, you're getting your boosters. These variants are out of control. And I know because like the mask of the Red Death, the specter of COVID has entered my household. Um, I am currently under quarantine because my uh, my daughter, who is a nursing student and is double vaxxed and boosted, um, still wound up testing positive the morning of Christmas Eve. And she had to leave the house with her boyfriend, not before my four year old son caught it. So now he has it. He's OK. It's very it's very minor case. But of course, you know. We when you have a four year old, you can't say you stay in this room and we'll stay in this room, uh, you know, short of chaining him to a wall, uh, which was considered. My wife and I are on daily exposure, so we're just knock wood so far so good. But um, it is a hell of a way to go through the holiday week and start the new year. And I can't stress it enough. You know, we if we don't all take this thing seriously and do what you need to do. These variants are going to continue forever and they will never stop getting a foothold. They're going to have to invent new letters for them. So be smart and do what you got to do so we could get the hell out of this mess and get on with our lives. Amen. Amen. And I'm sorry for what you're going through, man. Well, it's it's okay. I mean, it could be a lot worse. It's just uh, mm-hmm. thank that. Thankfully, it's their they they're minor cases. Everybody's you know kind of ambulating and up and around. It's just you know it's it's like a mild cold, but of course it it, it shuts everything down. You know, we can't go anywhere. We mm-hmm. can't leave the 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 house, and and you know he's got to miss school, and my you know my wife's got to miss work, and it's just it's a crazy mess. So it, this shouldn't even be happening anymore right now. It, we at this point, this is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Well, like you said, stay safe. That's really the big yes, thing right there. But absolutely, be smart, please. Uh, Scott, I'm going to go to you in second, but Brian, of course, we're going to have more news this month. The debut of your new show, Shut Up and Wrestle on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Stay tuned to the Jim Cornette Experience in the next couple weeks for information about where you can subscribe and when you can subscribe. But Brian will have more news about that. But right now, people can not subscribe, but they can buy your book in advance. You can pre-order your brand new biography of The Sheik. Here at the end of the show, talk a little bit about that and let people know where they can go to pre-order it. Okay, so the official publication dates April 12th, but pre-orders are already being taken. You can, you know, anywhere you'd normally go to order a book. So Amazon, you can get it there. You can get it at barnesandnoble.com, get the pre-orders in. And and the people that pre-order it are going to get it uh, before anybody else. And again, it's called Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. Uh, I've also just discovered that recently that they're going to be doing a, an audio version of it, and I'm going to get to read it and record it myself, which I'm excited about. Oh, so there will also be an audiobook version for people that are interested. That sounds tremendous. It sounded like Dan was a little excited about that, the audiobook version of it. I am. Are you going to do voices? Are you intending on doing voices? You know, <laughs> I've never done an audiobook before, so I'm a little curious about things like that. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm looking for guidance from them maybe when I'm in the studio 
how do you handle quotes and things like that? How do we know when you're in a quote and out of a quote? You know, to, to, I would be more than I, I would love to do voices. Why not? You know, I could I could give it a shot. And I, I won't have to impersonate. Well, I was going to say I won't have to impersonate the sheik because he never spoke. But there are actually uh, bits of his of his speech in the book from things that he said to people privately away from TV cameras. So, but I don't know. I've never done it before. This is a new thing for me. So I, I'll do what they tell me to do, I guess. And finally, here as we wrap things up, Scott Cornish, the noted wrestling humorist. Any closing thoughts, any closing <laughs> comments here on the 605 Super Podcast? Uh, you just brought up that quote from uh, Ford Fairlane, and it just made me think of one of my favorite quotes. Uh, he might warrant some further discussion some other time, but the old pool hustler and life hustler, Minnesota Fast, um, I remember so vividly once watching him on Wide World of Sports. They'd have him on like once a year, a couple of times a year. It'd always be a big match against him and Moscone, Willie Moscone. Moscone was by far the superior uh, the pool player. And uh, so one time there after the match, and uh, Fats would, would disrupt things by constantly talking, you know, like, like a wrestling character or a wrestling manager, you know, Chris Shankle would be trying to <laughs> wrap up the, uh, the thing and give uh, Moscone his proper respect. And Fats is just talking a mile a minute, you know, this and this and that out of the side of his mouth. And uh, so Moscone wins the match. Chris Shankle is trying to rein Minnesota Fats in. And Fats is saying, well, you know, you, 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 you do a, we weren't playing for the cheese. You know, if I, if we were playing for the cheese, I'd, he'd never get out of his chair, you know? And Chris Shankle says, but Fats, you, you didn't win the trophy. Willie did. And, uh, Minnesota Fats says, if I wanted a trophy, I'd go downtown and buy one. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember that. I must have been 10 years old when I saw, heard that. I still. <laughs> Well, I guess that's it. I guess that's uh, everyone's closing comments, and I'll just make some right here briefly. Of course, I want to thank everyone for listening to this show. I gave everyone a chance to speak, correct? Correct. Correct. You see, yes. it's, it's late, and I'm tired, and I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. But uh, thank you to everyone for listening here today. And, of course, here as we begin 2022, thank you to everyone who has supported and listened to any Arcadian Vanguard programs or produced programs throughout 2021. We really do appreciate it. and. Very, very happy to say there's a lot of very exciting and fun things uh, coming in 2022. I'm very, very excited about 2022, and I think everyone else will be. But stay tuned for more information. And until next time, the 605 Super Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Your producer, uh, do I have a producer on this? Yeah. Your producer is Jace Nakarado. I'm giving Jace producer credits on this one. Your producer is Jace Nakarado. For all my guests, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!